Wrestling Geeks This is your pal, Dane Alps, with another enticing episode of Geek Vibes Nations Presents Wrestling Geeks Alliance. If you're a new listener, this is a weekly show that me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, uh, do where we talk and, and, and talk about all the great stuff that happened in wrestling from the week previous uh, to all of our old listeners. Apologize, it's a couple days late, but you know, there wasn't, I would say, a tremendous amount of stuff to talk about, but some good talking pieces Within what happened last week, and you know, uh, we got this up on Monday, so you know, just just give us a break, okay? We got lives and stuff. There was mothers to be to be loved this last weekend. Okay, that came out wrong. To save my ass, like I said, my <laughs> my co-host who loves mothers a lot, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. Hey man, <laughs> yeah, you really uh, nailed that one. <laughs> Um, happy belated Mother's Day to everyone out there listening, all the female listeners, but, and to anyone that has a mom that they really love. So yeah, happy mother, belated Mother's Day. Like you said, it was a uh, busy weekend for pretty much everyone. My uh, 11th anniversary with my wife was this weekend. so that Congra- was... Congratulations, by the way, man. I forgot about that. I apologize. Uh, no worries. And uh, yeah, I spent the weekend kind of doing Mother's Day stuff as well as uh, celebrating my anniversary. And then my niece had a birthday party. So we, I was, I was jam packed. So listen, I'll blame the delay on me this, this time. Um, but yeah, apologize to the listeners out there. Thank you so much for tuning in a little bit later. And, and like you said, I, you guys didn't miss a whole hell of a lot other than the amount of shit talk I'm going to give AEW here in a bit. Oh Lord, breaking it down already, Xbox style. Uh, just giving us a couple clues about stuff that will happen later on, guys. We're going to go over some documentaries. Uh, one that I really liked and one that I have some comments about. You probably know what those are if you uh, you know understand what I'm saying. Uh, you know, and uh, we're gonna go over uh, AEW Blood and Guts, like Chris was alluding to. Uh, a little bit of the the stuff with Daniel Bryan. I got some stuff to say about that, and uh, pretty much SmackDown. We're gonna call it a night. Uh, I gotta be honest with you, Chris. I can't remember. You know, unless you want to point out some highlights. A lot of the big things that happen on NXT, I feel like they kind of had a chill week. So I decided we'll, uh, you know, talk about talk, talk more into some of these other subjects and wait for this week for them to come back with something amazing. Like, I don't know, uh, uh, something. But uh, <laughs> did you want to talk about anything that happened on NXT that you can think of? I just remember a lot of Gargano and family. So. Yeah, it's just more more so. It was just the continuation of the Gargano and and Co. storyline, which, as everyone who listens to this show knows, I have not been the biggest fan of anyway. So I kind of agree it was a little bit of a down week for NXT. Now, I remember Karrion Cross got attacked uh, by pretty much everyone that wants his title. So that's good that, one, once again, NXT is established, you know, like their women's division. They're establishing there's, there's Kyle O'Reilly. There's still Adam Cole somewhere. 
lurking for Kyle O'Reilly and vice versa. But them two, Finn Balor, Pete Dunne, all of them want a spot against, you know, uh, Mr. Karrion Cross for that title. So pretty, some good stuff, you know, just a slower week. But uh, we got we got some stuff to talk about, Chris. And uh, let's let's talk off. Let's start off with these documentaries. Do you want to do the I can't believe that the dark side of the ring one is the more happy one to me or or the more positive one uh, out of the two. But do you want to do the positive one or the negative one? Well, let's let's start with the Pillman documentary. <laughs> so let's let's start the more positive one, uh, I guess. Now, a lot of subject matter definitely within this documentary of Dark Side of the Rings premiere, two-parter about, uh, you know, um, Brian Pillman. Uh, definitely some dark stuff within it and finding out a lot of their situation with the family life. But just um, the documentary, I actually did learn, um, unlike before in the past, because you've heard a lot of stuff about Pillman. I've heard Dave Metzler talk at length a couple hours with Jericho about him and their friendship, and Dave was obviously in the uh, documentary itself, but a lot of the the cooler details, him and his, I can't remember his name, but the coach from Cincinnati that was basically kind of like his life coach, if you will, and just how Pillman knew where he could get, I feel like, and this has been kind of stated before in the past i feel like he was a similar level in wcw of what he could have been as a high flyer if they would have actually stopped you know didn't start and stop his push uh constantly whether it be with steve austin or by himself and with the uh later with the uh, Jushin liger matches and whatnot he was kind of forming to be like their Shawn michaels and then he came up with this personality concept and just ran with it uh with the loose cannon and went from promotion to promotion somehow I can't, I, I I'm so surprised that I have not heard Eric Bischoff try to defend uh, some of this shit on a podcast yet. I had no idea that Pillen Pillman for the storyline convinced Bischoff to let him out of his contract so he could go and make a star on ECW and WWE and still Bischoff tries to be like, well, I just wanted him to, to up his value. I knew what he was doing so that when he came back, he could be a, a higher level and just, no, I think everyone got duped by Pillman, but just, just uh, starting thoughts about the documentary itself. We'll get into the family aspect. We'll get into what could have been and all those type of conversations. But you know, your initial thoughts about dark side of the ring, uh, the Brian Pillman story, the loose cannon himself. Yeah, so I believe the his strength and conditioning coach's name is Kim Wood, I want to say, and I think Meltzer and Garrett on Wrestling Observer Radio just had him on for like a two-hour podcast talking more in depth about this. So that's something, if you enjoyed the documentary, anyone listening out there, you can go check that out for sure. But uh, Quite a character. Yes, definitely quite a character. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the idea How do I feel about Vince McMahon? What do you do with a whore? You fuck it. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, he was very, very blunt about it. But um, from what I remember of this storyline, because I've heard it before, Meltzer has said that Eric Bischoff kind of – he played it up in this documentary. Basically, Eric Bischoff never wanted to lose Pillman, um, which is why he offered them more money than WWF offered them. The only difference was it was a, you know, 90 day reevaluation period within the contract. Um, but I also know that Pillman 
when he started the loose cannon character, it's been said, and I've read this in other places many times, he already knew he was not going to be able to wrestle at the level that he was previously wrestling at, that his body had already started breaking down from previous football injuries. And this is even before the car crash that they get into uh, in the Hummer, which is just absolutely crazy, especially some of the radio clips they have from different radio stations in Cincinnati, where he's talking about getting launched out of the Hummer um, through the soft top because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. That, that stuff was kind of crazy. But much like uh, the majority of these documentaries, the more interesting stuff is is the family aspect. And, and I think those – the two people that do the dark side of the ring, the let's say directors or producers, I should say, they do a really good job of trying to capture that, like how, how this person affected those around them. And uh, from that standpoint, I thought it was really great. And then once again, Austin was on it, and fucking Austin's awesome, so – yeah, overall thoughts. This one was a really great watch. Yeah, two-parter, uh, a character and a person within wrestling that's highly revered by his, you know, peers, uh, people that are very respected or at least have at one time were completely respected within the industry. Whether whether it be a Jim Cornette or Dave Metzler or you know Steve Austin. I've heard Chris Jericho go on length about Pillman and just how much what could have been with him and what we have. Yeah. And, and you were right. Basically we we've heard the stuff that he would have had to basically do very similar to what Austin did when Austin broke his neck is like, take away some of the technical stuff for, for Pillman. That was a more high flying stuff essentially. And uh, would have to go more of a brawler. And he kind of did, the only problem was his leg was completely screwed after that accident. So his body was going through a lot of stuff. But this character of the loose cannon, it's very – I mean, there's not a lot of wrestlers. In the time where, where people started realizing the cracks in wrestling, once it became definitely much more, I would say, entertainment-based to an extent, even more so than the past, like in, in the 70s. You know, I, 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 when I think of people that are able to, you know, everything's bullshit, but that guy's fucking real. There's not a lot of them. Um, you know, uh, basically, I, I would, I would say, uh, Andy Kaufman kind of did that in, in uh, Memphis, obviously, with him and Jerry Lawler building him up, because people, even, you know, in the stand-up world, didn't know if he was fucking insane or anything like that. Like they, they legit thought that his act was him a lot of people that didn't know him personally and you have people like that the other people that are in these documentaries whether it be an austin or a savage or a piper which finding out i forgot what interview i was listening to but finding out oh it was conan said that brian pillman used to study roddy roddy piper when he was coming up with this he asked conan for all of his vhs's of like piper pre-wwe and really trying to get inside his head of finding out that type of character. And I mean, past that, past Austin, if you will, and Austin still was a character. We just thought he was a badass. You know, I guess punk's the closest thing in the modern time period where you can say kind of took that illusion and broke it down and put it within reality. So Pillman was very innovative. I mean, at one time he was considered by many of his peers one of the better high flyers and just all around in-ring workers uh, to a point where people like Ric Flair want to work with him and help him out within his early career in WCW 
or one of the better tag team wrestlers when him and Austin were the Hollywood blondes. And then to create this character and jump from ECW and, like I said, make a stir. And he did, you know, just saying all sorts of crazy shit. Stuff that he did in WCW before he left, you know, the whole Booker Man thing uh, with, with Kevin Sullivan. Just really just blurring the lines and then coming over to WWE, uh, the stuff with that they didn't go over with Marlena and Goldust and that whole angle and just leading with him in Austin. You know, unfortunately, he got in that wreck. But I guess there's one thing to say about the craziness that, you know, he couldn't even tell Dave Metzler, who was a good friend of his, you know, if, what was going on, if it was true, if it was not true, because Dave had a report wrestling, you know, the kayfabe and break that stuff down uh, for his people. So he just kept his distance and didn't talk to him for, for long periods of time. So that's. Very interesting, committed, but it sounds like, Chris, with everything that I've just talked about, he actually kind of was losing it in a way with, you know, problems with substance and a lot of the substance he was prescribed to, but because of all the pain and shit like that and and family stuff, he was kind of losing it in real life. And that's something that Jim Cornette said, that he wasn't crazy when people thought he was crazy. He was kind of mentally breaking himself down post that, post the Humvee accident. So just uh, just a just a crazy ass documentary. Uh, the the what if, if you will, of modern wrestling, Brian Pillman. Yeah, and I and, you know throughout that entire documentary, they'll cut to Jim Cornette, and he specifically makes that comparison of Andy Kaufman, and how even after the wreck, people thought that. He, there was rumors floating around that he was trying to get plastic surgery to look more like Shawn Michaels to yeah. be like his brother or his twin. The wrestlers believed it. <laughs> so when you're getting worked by like when a, when other wrestlers are getting worked by a wrestler, you're doing a very damn good job. Now I will say, when he showed up at ECW, Austin had kind of laid the groundwork for this, and they didn't go into this, but Austin essentially did the same thing when he got fired. By just coming coming in and cutting promos about Eric Bischoff, which is very similar to what Brian did. The only difference is you get to see Brian's descent from WCW. One of the things I didn't know is that that Bobby Heenan angle was a shoot. Like, I didn't realize that Bobby Heenan was legitimately pissed off <laughs> where he gets up yeah. and leaves the announce desk. Like, I had never heard that before. Um it's always good when there's little bitty tidbits in these that you, you don't know. Because a lot of these, even the A&E stuff... It's all stuff that we've heard over the years through osmosis or other podcasts or books or whatever have you. But uh, Dark Side of the Ring, they always seem to give you a little bit, little bit more. Absolutely. And then, you know, just the sadness of the of, – I didn't know anything about the family life. I didn't know he had children from three different moms that, you know, the – the first one, it was a you know a fling and, and something that they just didn't work out. But he always tried to provide for all of his children. Obviously, the second one was not faithful with uh, and got with Melanie, the third or his second wife, but the third mother within the course of this and the second wife. The fact that she got stabbed at a wrestling event and she was already very very she had problems with anxiety and, and, and depression and, and and whatnot and you know just that. Uh, because of them trying to get custody of the kids, she took her own life and just very sad stuff. And just Melanie, which 
Jim Cornette talked to the two producers and said that you guys you guys definitely restrained yourself, which was good, but just throughout the boys and and every this she kind of I mean I'm I tr- I'm trying to be nice in this situation because I, I feel like you know through what Brian Pillman Jr. said that she's trying to make up for it, but she knows there's no way to cure anything with her stepdaughter, the the second one. Uh, because her mom died, her her dad died, and then she was with a completely different family. And the the stepfather that they had that broke Brian Pillman Jr.'s, you know, GameCube just to just because he could, like really tough stuff um, for any child to have to deal with. And she was, you know, someone that he saw. Basically, she was a model. She was in a penthouse that he saw, and he sought out. I didn't know that. And Brian last explained this uh, with with Jim Cornette. She, after Ultimate Warrior uh, left his first wife way, way before Dana, he was with Melanie for a long time period before Brian Pillman ended up marrying her and getting with her. Uh, But, yeah, and she obviously had some substance abuse issues and kind of tried to downplay some of Brian Pillman's drug issues. It just, it was, it was a mess. It just, that's the situation itself. And I, I think that the only the one positive thing that comes from all of this and the, there's not a lot of positivity to 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 come out of it because Brian Pillman he was going to do a lot he could have done a lot he completely had an accident that was about to sideline him just to be an announcer and then he overdosed on his prescription pills because of him not being able to deal with the physical pain in his body from not basically continuing wrestling after doctors told him they couldn't um you know the the silver lining is brian pillman jr that he's at the the beginning but he gets to take over this legacy of the pillman legacy and um really big ups for AEW. i wasn't a fan of him taking the pin you know griff garrison is uh less known i would say out of the uh not the hollywood blondes but the varsity blondes but he was in his bangles outfit he got to be in the ring a lot. I wish that we just got SoCal uncensored, but we'll get to AW against the the Varsity Blondes for the number one contender and just let Pillman just go a little more at it. But he's gotten pretty damn good in ring, especially for someone that's not like his father as, uh, you know, was an athlete and that he turned himself into this. Uh, I hope a lot for him, man. And uh, especially with his story, definitely choked me up. Um, hearing about him talk about he never got to throw a ball or throw a football. He didn't have a father figure for that. So just uh, the sad story, but I feel like, do you, do you agree, Chris, that I guess the only silver lining from this is the fact that Pillman Jr. is making his rise and trying to make up for it, you know? I think that's a good way to look at it and that, you know, he seems to be working through the issues that he had with his mother, like the all of the stuff with Brian Pillman Jr. at the end of that documentary. Very heart wrenching, um, spe- specifically when he's talking about there's this photo of him in and Brian and Brian's holding him as a little baby. And he starts talking about how he just wants to be a good father and wants to provide a better family life for his kids. And, and then him talking about how he kind of got decided to go into wrestling just based off Stone Cold sending him a weight belt of his dad's and how that kind of inspired him. It's it it was all heart wrenching stuff and the whole the whole family. The other silver lining seems like 
they have a really good relationship with their aunt, which is Brian Pillman. Their aunt's awesome. Sister, and she was great throughout the uh, entire interview. Seems like she's put up with a lot of, of shit over the years that maybe she didn't go full bore into. But, uh, yeah, she was very, very great in this documentary as far as the interview process with her. Yeah, and uh, they have a um, – I love Kevin Owens. Brian Pillman, I think it was to help her out. She's going through some financial stuff. Uh, they put a T-shirt for her uh, on on uh, Pro Wrestling Tees, and it actually did extremely well after the documentary. And Kevin Owens said, you know – kind of tag Brian and was like, I'm buying one of your aunt's shirts. And I thought that was really cool of him to do. Cause she seemed like a pretty hard ass woman kept all those kids together throughout it. But you know, I, I think, I think Brian Pillman jr. Has a lot of potential to him. I've said this for a while. Uh, when I first saw him in MLW, he was definitely green, but he had just finished, you know, working with Lance storm. And I remember probably about a year and a half before that, he was on Austin's show where they talked about his father and just broke his career down. So it, it was a little time into the industry. They just in MLW and MLW for some reason the Hart Foundation. I guess they were good as heels, but they were a heel group, and it was Davy Boy Jr. and and uh, Teddy Hart and him. And he screwed over Kevin Sullivan, roughed him up, who was like his 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 coach, if you will, within this whole storyline, and tried to do the loose cannon gimmick and because of just naturally the fact that they're the heart foundation should be baby faces especially nowadays they all got over as baby faces before teddy got kicked out and uh davy left uh brian started becoming a pretty good baby face and i think that what he's doing with griff is good i just i see some big things singles wise and i hope that he's someone within the next couple of years that if he gets a full-time contract with AEW, they they kind of do more than having him get pinned every time he has a tag match with Griff Garrison on television. But yeah, I like seeing him and his dad's bangles, uh, uh, flying Brian gear that he wore specially for the Blood and Guts, uh, you know, event. Um, and I don't know much about him on the mic because I haven't seen a bunch of interviews with him when he's not playing that heel gimmick that when he first started with MLW, but. I think he has a ton of potential and and also a bad thing at the same time, but I'm it's it's kinda like how I felt this is more I think I hate to say this, but realistic, but very much how I felt about David Benoit, that if you wanted to do it, just you know, bust his ass and fucking go do it. And but with Pillman, he's in a good position. He's kind of like the mid card, one of the smaller tag team guys. That's getting the rise and the push finally where they're actually in the top uh, slots, even though those fucking standings don't matter um, with his tag partner. But I want to see him by himself. I definitely want to see him mix it up with certain guys in the ring, whether it be a Sammy Guevara, whether it be a Darby Allen. I think the fact that him and MJF had a great fucking blood feud and they haven't really messed with it in AW has a lot of potential itself. But um after all the, the negative stuff uh, that we heard about his life and, and coming up without his dad, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I'm glad that his family's still a unit based on his aunt, and I'm, and I'm glad that he's still trying wrestling, and he doesn't seem like he's letting up anytime soon, which is great. Yeah, I wonder if to some extent 
he wishes he would have stayed in MLW just to have the singles run, if I'm being honest, because now they're going to be on Vice TV. So they're going to have legitimate TV. Um, but yeah, like what they've done with him so far, I mean, it's very much just they're doing the Hollywood Blondes, right? <laughs> Minus them being a heel group. And maybe that's... Yeah, the they're not heel. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's maybe the bigger problem. Uh, but as far as like the promos go, based off those interviews that he, we just saw on Dark Side of the Ring, I feel like he's going to be able to adapt to that pretty quickly, right? I they, mean, he's so they well should spoken. probably they should probably bounce off the fact that he came off like such a huge baby face and just fucking try to push him based on that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, if we're just going off of what we what we've seen in MLW and and in this documentary, I think that the uh, the promo thing he'll adapt to very quickly. And he still has a great look, and, you know, he can always tie, tie back into the Flying Brian stuff or Loose Cannon stuff. But uh, in the documentary, JR, when he's talking about talking with uh, Flying Brian Jr., and he's like, I, I want you to just stay away from the Loose Cannon stuff and just take all the good aspects away from your father. It's like, man, those must be some hard conversations to have. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, I. You're absolutely right. That's got to be hard. It's, and I feel like that's probably what a lot of guys, whether it be in Austin or even Jericho, who didn't really know Pillman that well, but looked up to him and whatnot. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are like, just be careful. Just you know, because his dad. Uh, oh wow, it's uh. Even even if it was a gimmick. At some point, it started kind of clicking and becoming him. So, you know, that is there. But Pillman's got a long road ahead of him. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I met him a couple of years back. I met uh, Brian Pillman Jr. And it was before – it was right before AEW. It was the weekend, actually. This was, There was a two-night event that I got invited from a friend. And my place is the T-shirts, and I had no idea it was even related. But uh, one night it was a bar brawl when we watched Tom Lawler and Ken Shamrock fight in the bar into the bathroom, and Filthy Tom took a fucking swirly. And the next night the Bucks asked uh, the Lucha Brothers to join AEW. But that weekend I'm in a bar, and me and me and Pelman we, we were just talking. You know, I, I I said something on his uh on one of his Twitter things, on his Twitter thing. But he was really nice. We were just drinking. Frankie Kazarian's band ended up playing beforehand. So we were just jamming, listening to music. And fucking Darby Allen was there. And MJF was there. And it was – it's surreal now. But back then, they were all kind of up and coming. They were from Evolve. I remember you know, seeing MJF go against Matt Cross at the beginning of All In. I didn't – you know, they were all people I knew in the industry. And I still felt like I was star, starstruck but not to the level. I was more starstruck with Frankie Zarian and Christopher Daniels just walking around as if it's nothing and, and seeing shit. Ethan Page was there. Fucking Ricky Starks was there. It's it's crazy now to think about it, but just to say, a lot of those guys came off standoffish. Uh, I didn't even try to talk to MJF because I just figured that he'd be a dick. Just yeah, Either that's him or he's trying to be in character all the time. But um, he Pelman just seemed normal. He seemed pretty real, so kind of appreciated that yeah and i mean to some extent that's probably you know that's a good way to look at the the current state of the wrestling business in general the stuff that kind of taker 
got in trouble for saying a while back about how these kids are kind of soft. They also don't seem to have as many problems as we used to with some of these cats from the 80s and 90s as far as different addictions and, and weird quirky stuff. So and from you, that standpoint, your heart attacks. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like people are maybe taking a little bit better care of themselves when it comes to uh, painkillers and uppers and downers, etc. And, and a lot of these guys seem like they're able to separate real life scenario from wrestling, which I mean, is kind of the end of this documentary. <laughs> like, it's I mean, we, we yeah. talk about blurring the lines and how it trickled over into his real life. Pillman's not the only one. I mean, Ric Flair is the same thing. Like, Ric Flair eventually just became the character Ric Flair. You, you could probably even say that about Macho Man until he officially retired. A, lo- a lot of these guys, that is the story. You know, there's very few that just walk away and are fine with walking away. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, if I could just request AEW, since I know you guys listen to me, eventually when you iron stuff out with uh, with New Japan... If you ever want to have a random match that I think would be really cool in retrospect, throw Pillman against Takahashi since Hiromu kind of took over or, you know, became the protege, if you will, to Jushin Liger and let them have like a 30-minute match back and forth with a couple little nods to the old matches. I think that would be pretty fucking cool. And, I mean, it's Hiromu Takahashi we're talking about. If anyone that's crazy, if you will, like the loose cannon, and it would be... Mr. Takahashi himself. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's about all I got to say about this. Uh, so now, should we bitch about the Randy Savage documentary? Are you ready to do that? We'll say, yeah. But before we head out, just you know, Jushin Thunder Liger might get an itch and want to wrestle again because he's retired like a hundred times, kind of like Terry Funk. So maybe you could just even have that match. See, that would be awesome. They uh, Pillman. He talked about it. I don't know if they try to work this out or not. Uh, there was the rumor that it was going to be the first match on AEW was going to be Pillman Jr. versus uh, Liger, but that obviously did not happen. I think that was Sammy Guevara and Cody was the first match on Dynamite, if I am remembering correctly. But um, Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho Man Randy Savage. One of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Uh, easily in my top five has been for a very long time, one of the greatest characters. But not only that, I would say, I mean, you can come at me if you want, He, him and Flair are neck and neck as overall perfect. I mean, they didn't have to be the greatest of anything, but overall, I mean, who the fuck is better than Macho Man? I guess Flair could be, but... They're they're both incredible in-ring workers, could work for a very long period of time, knew their characters, great fucking promos. Obviously, Flair might be a little bit better in the promo department, but, I mean, Savage could fucking take a creamer and make an amazing promo off of it, or a a cup of coffee, you know? So, I was very much, after the two uplifting documentaries about Austin and, and Piper... The first one with Austin being done by the the same guy who was part of the Andre documentary and also uh, the uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the Michael Jordan one. Um, I didn't realize there was different directors for all of these. So the third one, we kind of the, – the first hour I liked a lot or the first 
first half of it, I would say. When you start getting out of the WWE towards the end, and they just completely drizzle over, you know, uh, the, the, the mega powers, or Macho Man and, and, and Warrior, or Macho Man winning the title again from fucking Flair, you know, and, and the some of the significance. And it's like they did what Darkseid does, because, I mean, Darkseid had an episode about Elizabeth and Macho Man. And but they just didn't have like there's always a resolution in these dark side episodes. There's always some tr- some type or or trying by the end of it to have, you know, either the family gets to talk to each other over a long period of time or something. You know, we, we get to find out some new information. They try to go for, I think, a more humanity styled way of talking about this type of salacious, you know, material. And I felt like this was. The first time I even messaged Chris, and I was like, I don't think it was that bad. But then hearing outpour from X-Pac, from Hurricane Helms, from, you know, Conrad Thompson, who does a bunch of podcasts, obviously, in the wrestling world. And he was talking to to X-Pac, and X-Pac just went off. Bully Ray, Tommy Dreamer, Mark Henry, a lot of wrestlers that I respect are people in the industry that I like. And their take on it. Of why, you know, besides stuff being a little bit out of place uh, historically wise in certain areas, of why they decided to turn it, make it more about Elizabeth when this is just Macho Man's, take away a lot of the in-ring stuff and go buy more of the tabloid stuff of his drug use stuff at the end leading up to it. The people they chose, you know, the comedian with the great impression, great, but... At the end of it, he kind of pissed me off by by saying, well, that's a way that, you know, it's kind of like, the, well, that's how a rock star would want to go. It's like, I, wait, a, a pro wrestler would want to have a massive heart attack, almost kill his 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 then fucking girlfriend and crash into something, dying. That would be the way Macho Man would want to go. Get the fuck out of here. Bubba the Love Sponge. Completely unnecessary. Gorgeous George, who was a part of his life for a year, which is fine with her. Especially if you're gonna tell truthful stuff, and and the, the ecstasy thing I thought was kind of funny, you know, I didn't know that type of shit obviously then, but then her sister that's like in the witness protection program, like a lot of that stuff, just where the fuck was Diamond Dallas Page in this? There, like, where is the information? I already said the WWE stuff past, you know, Hogan, which you really barely went into, like the actual details all became about Elizabeth again. But he won the fucking World Heavyweight title in WCW like three times. He made DDP a household name that I know Diamond fucking thanks him for. You don't even have him a part of it. It would have been nice to see certain other people that like go into the Jake Roberts thing instead of just having him there for two comments and that's it. Get Hogan a little bit out of it because he's so fucking full of himself. It's ridiculous. And I love that part where Ricky Steve where he's like, oh, Steamboat and Savage weren't trying to outdo our – and, like, Steamboat's like, no, 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 we we really were. We were like, we want to steal the fucking show. And you believe that stuff. And I – it did seem, Chris, just a bit off, just in general. The first half I really liked, uh, but, yeah, we could have had – I'm trying to think of, like, some of his rivalries. Like, early on, Adrian Street could have been cool to have in there to talk about him and – in ICW going into uh, before Memphis, like that whole time period. Um, 
But like even like I said, nothing from WCW. Like he didn't have any type of career at all. All right, whatever. Let's talk more about his fucking ex-girlfriends that were in their 20s and shit and doing ecstasy. And Bubba the Love Sponge, who looks like Jabba the Hutt, by the way. What do you think? Uh, there's a lot of stuff I didn't like about this. One is Peter Rosenberg. Uh, I, I don't know if he's some kind of, if, if he's like a macho man, super fan, just cause I've never really cared for the guy. But at one point in this documentary, he says macho man had a seven year career and that's how they treated this documentary is that macho man only existed in the world of WWF outside of, like you said, the tabloid stuff that they were bouncing off of. Like, that's literally how they treated this documentary, is that it only really mattered once he got to WWF, and nothing else mattered afterwards. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't you have loved to actually, like, heard from some of the wrestlers that he went against instead of, like, like Peter Rosenberg, Bubba the Love Sponge, and comedian guy that does a really good impersonation of him? That's yeah, all mean, they fucking had? They, I mean, they just they spent 15 to 20 minutes with those cats talking, who, to me, have nothing to do with his career. Like, you can't tell me the story of the Mega Powers within that time period. You know what I mean? Like, there was, that kind of stuff kind of pissed me off. And then, like you said, we've already, heard the, we've already had the documentary on Macho Man and Elizabeth. Um, the Gorgeous George interview, I didn't really have a problem with outside of they didn't talk about... Macho Man showing up at the Misfit show to try to fight <laughs> Toyle Von Frankenstein uh, after Gorgeous George and him broke up. I was like, man, if you're going to have her tell a story, tell that one. Get Doyle on. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff like that where even if you are talking about these subjects, I feel like you miss some golden opportunities. Like the fact that he had real heat with the Misfits. That's a, that's a pretty good one. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like Diamond Dallas Page should have been there. I mean, it's probably Macho Man's last great match. So it should be one you talk about as far as just his wrestling career. Like him kind of putting over Diamond Dallas Page. Like after that, there's not a whole lot that he did in WCW. I mean, he was always part of, you know, the NWO angles. But that was like the last big Macho Man moment in wrestling. Well, and another thing that would have been nice to listen to since they went into the whole, like, him wanting to stay and do more with WWE, but Vince wanting to sideline him, and then they didn't go over this, but, all right, now Ric Flair's here. He already went through stuff, barely did anything with Hogan. What are we going to do? All right, at Mach, we're going to have you come back, wrestle. Oh, and he wins the fucking title again, then loses it, and then they sideline him again. But... One thing that I've heard Lanny talk about, I've heard other people talk about within uh, that work for WWE in the time. I would have loved to heard information and maybe even Sean's reaction that Macho Man at the, went to Vince and said suggested that he did a year storyline with Shawn Michaels, and at the end of it, he wanted to put Shawn over and basically make it a retirement match, and just that's it. But they, he wanted to have multiple matches with Shawn Michaels. This was in this one, Sean was with Sherry, so they could have kind of weaved that into it. And I've never really he- heard that addressed from Sean. I've just heard Lenny Poffo talk about another, you know, heads within the WWE. That would have been a great fucking thing to go over. Or like, like we said, DDP or 
like I said, him and Rick or him and Jake, you know, Jake and Sting barely were in it. There was more of Bubba the Love Sponge in this fucking documentary than Sting and 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 Jake the Snake Roberts. Like, why? I mean, when he went to WCW, it was, it was huge. It might have been corny as fuck, but wrestling in 95, 96, 90, until 97 towards the end was corny. But it was always Savage, Sting, Hogan versus the Four Horsemen versus the Dungeon of Doom. You know, Macho had the belt for a good portion of that time period when he beat Hogan in the fucking triple ring, whatever the hell, World War Three thing. You know, kind of getting his win back from Hogan, defeating or taking him out in one of the Royal Rumbles, which was a big moment. There's a lot of things. And I, I'm sorry, but like they can go into Elizabeth and Luger stuff. But really, do we have to go into her demise within this? Like that's when he wasn't even fucking with Elizabeth. It just seemed, like I said, very salacious, very tabloid esque. And the ending was kind of just meh. it was there and then it was done. And they try to make it like nice towards the end because of how happy he was afterwards. But they didn't focus on that that much. They spent more time talking about his fucking rap career. That was a joke to begin with. And I don't know, towards the end, I would have loved to have seen some stuff of his last time in wrestling where he had that match. Jeff Hardy and AJ Styles and TNA or something to to wrap it up on the wrestling bow. I'm glad we saw Bonesaw McGraw. That was kind of cool. But, you know, it just sucks because a lot of people always say, like, you know, I'm not going to. I don't know if you can put to the level of, of Rock and Austin, but in the 80s, you know, it was Hogan and Macho Man. Yeah, Piper was damn close. Flair was doing some stuff in the NWA. But I, I'm just talking about being a kid, late 80s, early 90s. When you thought WWE, you thought Hulk Hogan, and you thought Macho Man Randy Savage. And Ultimate Warrior was obviously there, and so was Piper and stuff like that. But those were the two. And that was such a big deal when they left. Uh, I just thought. It's just weird that WWE makes a documentary about Macho Man Randy Savage, and it's kind of like it wasn't as bad as Ultimate Warrior one years ago, but it just was not that good of a documentary. Um, the early stuff was. I learned a little bit about his dad's promotion. I appreciate that, I guess. And see, and with some of these larger names, we're wrapping back around because W. WWE has done a great documentary about Macho Man that's not geared towards this. It's a three-disc DVD with some of his like best matches, and it used to be up on Netflix and shit. I don't know if it still exists out there, but there is like a complete story of Macho Man Randy Savage. So I mean, they've hit this all of this stuff before, but like you said, man, it's they started out talking about wrestling, and then we ended up just getting the same thing as the Dark Side of the Ring documentary, but not as good, and with people that I don't really care about. Uh, with like Bubba the Love Sponge and and even Hogan to some extent, just because he's came over like such a fucking goof on both the Piper one and and this Macho Man one, and kind of the way he acts and and how like you said how full of the self he is. But we've we've known that about Hogan for years. Uh, I do think it's hilarious to me that you know he's part of one of the big reasons Hogan is so over in WCW as he is the guy that catches the ass whipping when Hogan turns on him and sting and Luger. And that wasn't mentioned. And that's the creation of the NWO. Like. Yeah. We couldn't see the awesome clip of macho man grabbing the limousine while it drives off after they beat the shit 
out of like Rey Mysterio and everyone in the parking lot. And they legit people were calling the cops because of that. And one of the reasons because Macho Man, like I said, he grabbed the top of the fucking limousine and they drove off like he was crazy. <laughs> but there's so many good moments. I mean, even I mean, he was a big part of the NWO, too. So it's it's just hilarious to me. And like I said, I think Peter Rosenberg accidentally summed up what this documentary was. Macho Man Randy Savage wrestled for seven years. That's pretty much it. <laughs> That's how they treated it. In the WWE. That's it. Ugh. God. Well, so I don't know. I, I will I, I will say, I guess I will probably talk about it next week, but the Booker T one was very similar in a lot of aspects of how they overlook WW or WCW, which is a little unfortunate. Oh, that's a good thing to fucking just pretend. Yeah, just amazing because, like, you know, this documentary takes one of the biggest names in wrestling and diminishes him. And then the Pillman one, you kind of get, like, in a very different way. Uh, like, almost like a Bo Jackson story, if you will, with the wrestler. Of a wrestler that had all the potential and everything, and he was on the rise, and he was doing some amazing stuff, and then, boom, it's done. And it's over with. And what could have been is the big question with this wrestler. Uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend the Brian Pillman <laughs> Dark Side of the Ring. We're going to be having these for the next couple of weeks between the two. So we'll go over the Booker T one next week. And uh, I think the Nick Gage one's coming up on, uh, on Dark Side of the Ring. That should be interesting because I don't know a lot about that crazy motherfucker at all. Just know that he robbed a bank without a mask and then went to a casino. That's that's going to be a very interesting part of that story. Yeah, I loved in the I think it was in the preview or something like that where Moxley was like, this motherfucker wore a mask on his head and on his face. You never see his eyes. And he goes and robs the banks without a fucking mask. on. <laughs> Doesn't seem that bright. <laughs> yeah, well. I'm 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 excited about seeing uh, David Arquette in this thing since he got the absolute Jesus. hell beat out of him by Nick Gage and they kind of hit that in the previews too. So that one should be a lot of fun to watch, especially because that's not a big story I know about. Like I don't know who trained Nick Gage and I can't tell you the history of his career through CZW. So that'll be one that's going to be interesting to watch because it's it's an unheard. The same thing as like the Grizzly uh, Grizzly Smith stuff they're going to be doing later on. Yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, just those those documentaries. Well, the Booker T one will be fun, but I got to check that out myself. Like I said, we'll cover that next week. But just a lot of documentaries. Let's talk about Mr. Daniel Bryan. Now, as of today, uh, yeah, on the 10th, that would be today. We're doing this on Monday. Uh, we have Mike Johnson from PWI Insider reporting that <clears throat> Daniel Bryan is most likely going to stay with the WWE. Basically, a lot of stuff that we're hearing. WWE is trying to work on a contract with him. Bryan wants to, within this whole thing, he's been trying to negotiate so he can go work in Japan and also in Mexico and fulfill some of the stuff that he wants to do before he retires. Um, I'm assuming they're apprehensive because the last time they let an active wrestler go and compete in New Japan, not in Mexico, but like specifically New Japan, we had Chris Jericho and he became one of the biggest names going into this new entity 
of AEW. So I can see resistance from WWE, and it's also fucking WWE, so what do you expect? But within all this, they want him to stay. He had a loser leaves town SmackDown match. That technically does not mean that he can't show up on Raw or NXT. We also know that, or at least a lot of wrestling fans like myself, uh, we you know know that he would like to go to NXT and actually be able to provide becoming a big a draw there and be able to go against guys that he's wanted to work with for years, like your Johnny Gargano's, like your Finn Balor's, and the slew of of people that Adam Cole's that he could have really good matches with. You know, at this point, it seems Daniel Bryan is not concerned so much with money. That is not really, you know, I, I don't, I think everyone loves money. I don't think that that's a question. But I think that when it comes to certain individuals, I think he would be more worried about staying in the same family in which his, his wife, who's going to have a show regardless because it's popular, but, you know, his wife's a part of this family too that has her own television show with her sister and whatnot. So there's a lot of stakes to stay in WWE. But, Daniel Bryan, I think, just wants to fulfill some stuff left on, you know, his person. He wants to be able to go to Arena Mexico and have a hair versus hair match or hair versus mask match and put his hair on the line. He wants to go to New Japan and be able to headline the Tokyo Dome. You know, these are these are stuff that he wants to do within his career. So I understand Mike Johnson and what he's saying, and I'm, I'm not doubting it. But knowing what he's saying that he'd like to do and knowing that it's WWE, I'm still flabbergasted that that match with Roman Reigns, that was the last date on his contract. Technically, he's not signed. Thank God we're not back in the Attitude Era, and his wife isn't a part of the company, obviously, like we just talked about with Total Bellas, because if this is the Attitude Era, he might be on fucking AEW the next, you know, the next week showing up, because he literally has no contractual obligation. There's no three-month you know, 90-day non-compete because he's fulfilled his contract. So that was literally a loser leaves town and a great match for him to go out on, but with the potential that WWE wants him to stay, but he might go. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Chris, when you heard about this, when we when we found this out when we were talking, what do you think about Daniel Bryan? Like, none of us really knew about this. Uh you know, I think Sean Ross Sapp was the first one to report it. Dave Metzler confirmed it and basically said that, yeah, uh, no one really knew within the industry that Daniel Bryan's last date was at SmackDown. That was the last fulfilled obligation on his contract. So now it's all up in the air, and WWE is trying to make him happy to stay, probably trying to get him to be more of an ambassador and then producer, coach, whatever he wants to eventually, but keep him so he doesn't go to somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about it, I guess it was last week, well, weekend before last week, we talked a little bit about this, but not to not in, in this in depth, but I thought, and most people thought that his contract was up in September. So I thought this was way further out than, you know, Bro, you predict match. the future. I gotta <laughs> fucking say, Christopher A. Patton, you guys are active listeners. The last time we talked... He said straight up, I think Daniel Bryan's done. I think that this is he's either going to set out his contract or, you know, like this is it. Because I was saying, oh, he's going to NXT. And you were the one who said, no, I don't think so. I think that he's he's done. Even if he has more time in his contract, he might be behind the scenes. But 
there was something else that you predicted too. Oh, oh, that's right. Uh, Andrade uh, being the person to represent AAA to try to go against the title for Kenny Omega. You said that. And I was even <laughs> like, I don't know, because that would be going against CMLL, which, you know, he's got family and friends in. So, you know, he's never worked for AAA. And then he fucking is at that show and calls out Kenny Omega for Triple Mania in August to go for the fucking Mega Championship title. And it's actually someone legit that if they go down the storyline with an AEW, he could possibly take the damn title from him. So uh, kudos to you. This goes back to the Hardy Boys coming out for fucking WrestleMania. Can you give me some juice so I can predict shit? <laughs> Jesus. I'm protecting all the juice like I'm Tupac. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't know. So with the Daniel Bryan thing, and to me, if he wants to, he should go do what he, whatever he wants to do at this point. It's not going to hurt WWE. He just lost to Roman Reigns uh, in a loser leaves town match. So every anywhere else he shows up, that's going to be the first thing on people's mind is like, well, you know, he already got beat by the big dog. Now, does that mean that everyone else he wrestles? Like, it's going to be hard to give him wins. Um, if he goes to NXT, that heavyweight title picture is locked up. They have Johnny Gargano in this goofy-ass feud. I mean, he could obviously have matches with Adam Cole, I guess, and, and Kyle O'Reilly, but it's going to be an afterthought to the main storyline of Karrion Cross. So if you send him to Monday Night Raw, you know what does that really mean for Bobby Lashley? Because you're building up Lashley versus Reigns at some point. I guess Survivor Series would be my guess, uh, unless they bring in someone like Brock. So, I mean, for him, if he wants to go wrestle other places and you're WWE and you don't want him showing up on AEW, which is the real thing, is that you don't want him showing up on AEW. I doubt they care if he shows up on a New Japan show. I highly doubt that. But if he shows up on AEW, that's a big deal. So just give him the damn contract he wants. You know what I mean? With, with Jericho, it was a little different because Jericho wasn't re-signing a contract, and he just called Vince and asked permission to do it outside of a contract. Like They didn't try to re-sign Jericho after that last run with Jericho, so Jericho was just being a nice guy by calling and ask, asking if he could do it. With this, it's like, you know, he it, to me, Daniel Bryan's getting ahead of the curve. If, if these stories are true, he's saying, hey, look, I still want to be a part of wwe this is where i became super popular i like working here you know is like you said his wife has a tv show with them there's reasons why he wants to be there so just let him go do the other shit who cares AEW lets people do it so <laughs> you're kind of setting a president on your contracts it's like we don't want you to do this um i mean if he's that damn important and you don't want him showing up on the other show just lock him up and write into the contract where he can and can't go so, like you said, if he wants to go do a hair versus, you know, mask match, let him do it. You know, if he wants to go to New Japan, let him do it. Because at the end of the day, that's not on American television. And the, and the fans that would know Daniel Bryan, outside of the diehards, you're not losing any audience there. Whereas if he shows up on AEW, you're losing an audience. So it's just weird to me they're even having that conversation. Like, if you're really that concerned, just lock the guy up in a contract. But let him have these other dates. Who the hell cares at that point? It, like I said, it's not going to affect WWE's ratings one bit if he is on a New Japan show at four in the morning. That's a very good point. Um, see, and the thing about Jericho, it's it is a little bit different of situation. Jericho was much older, um, and no offense, Chris knows how old he is. This was five fucking years ago, or he was less than that. But 
you know, he was a star that had been there that had peaks and valleys. And it was now, especially with the bad taste of what happened with him and Kevin Owens and the whole WrestleMania situation. You know, he can say that he didn't care about it, had nothing to do with Goldberg being a part of it and taking the title away from that whole entire scenario, but I doubt that, uh, going back within their past. But, um, you know, Jericho was a big name that was represented by WWE, but he was someone they were trying to sideline anyways. Uh, That's why at first I don't think Vince gave a shit. Like you said, he was off a contract. What pissed him off is when he had Jericho, he asked him to be a part of the Saudi Arabia show to go against Undertaker, and he uh, he told Vince basically right around that same time he was going to do a second New Japan show against Naito. Uh, and Vince kind of got soured, and that's when originally he took the place of Miro, and then Miro replaced him again, and that was it. And that was kind of the, the last time him and Vince apparently had talked. But Daniel Bryan, though, he has built up such a good – He's he just seems like a good – not saying that Jericho isn't, but it's a different type of guy. and. Honestly, here's the thing. It, with AEW, I don't know if I really would want him to be a part of AEW. I feel like there's a good chance that he could be in the background. Or, I mean, like, I mean, what the fuck has Christian done? Once again, I know Christian's from a generation previous than Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's more of like a living legend, if you will. Someone that's part of this last generation, but... Still, I think he's like 40, if he's not even. Kind of like Balor and, and Rollins and whatnot. Um, but I'm rambling at this point. I don't know if I'd really want him to go to AEW, Chris. i got to be honest with you. I have another idea, and I'll try to harness your juice. Uh, that sounded weird. Um, <laughs> for it. But AEW, do you think that would be a good fit for what would then be Brian Danielson? Well, I mean, he is a bigger name than Christian, in my opinion. He is, but what do you think, besides going having a match against Kenny Omega, like, what else I mean, is Moxley, he going to be able to Hangman, accomplish? Hangman Page? I mean, if, if he comes in and wins the title, he could accomplish a whole hell of a lot, because he could go between Impact and AEW, and there's tons of people that I would, like, love to see him wrestle. But, I mean, that's the thing is it doesn't seem like he wants to do that. Like, it doesn't seem necessarily that he wants to go. And this is just based off everything we're hearing, obviously. I mean, in the back of his head, he might be like, hey, I want to go to fucking Ring of Honor uh, one more time or something. We, I mean, I don't know. But based off what we're hearing, it just seems like he wants to go wrestle in foreign countries and do things that he's never done before. You know, wrestling for AEW is going to be very similar than to wrestling for WWE, and he's probably going to make more money in WWE, so... I don't, you know, from that aspect, I don't know that he necessarily cares. It's weird. It, it seems like, you know, what I would think that Dan O'Brien would want to do is get a little bit further away from the sports entertainment concept um, and do more pure wrestling. Uh, that's why he wants to finish up certain things, you know, has certain goals for different places. New Japan's a perfect fit for him, but. I think with a lot of companies, they can probably make work in the contract if your name's fucking Daniel Bryan to be able to, for you to go work somewhere. So we, we know that that could be with AEW. And there, yeah, you're right. There is a lot of people that he could work with. What I hope, and I don't think this is going to happen, but I'm just saying, if I were a multi-billion dollar fucking company and I had a wrestling organization that was pushing more 
sports base, which they got away from for a little while, but they've always kind of upheld that type of approach. And especially now, they're trying to come back up, talking about Ring of Honor. And you've got a, a crop of new talent that's really just trying to rise uh, and, 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 and become bigger. Uh, and then you have your, your, your veterans, like your Jay Lethals, your, your, uh, your, your Briscoes, you know, with Jay Briscoe, especially past champion, and, and other guys that have been there, Dalton Castle, for a long time. You have a couple characters. I said Dalton, you know, Denhausen's getting very popular um, with his weird obscure. But for the most part, especially now, it's more about Josh Gresham, uh, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams, a lot of technical-based guys. I forgot the guy that I was really impressed with that was in the pure tournament that was uh, ex-football player, wrestler, obsessed with Mr. Perfect. I can't remember, but... Just a slew of really talented dudes. Mike Bennett came back there. If I was delirious, or I don't know who exactly is in charge of of Ring of Honor. I know that delirious is the booker. I would be talking to Sinclair. I would I would literally call three fucking people right now, get in contact with them immediately, and that would be CM Punk, Samoa Joe, and Dan O'Brien. Be like, whatever capacity, whether if you want to come in here to help book, whether you want, if you can't wrestle, you know, like in Samoa Joe's case, if you want to commentate or be a manager, just bring your star presence here, limited schedule. Daniel Bryan, if you want to be the fucking workhorse and, and kill it, that's fine. We'll put on your, even though they don't have a good relationship with CMLL and, and New Japan now, still put in his contract, allow Daniel Bryan to go fucking do whatever he wants, you know, be able to do that. Bring back that sports base, put a little bit more money into the fucking product, and kind of channel, like I suggested a while ago, more of a UFC approach or boxing approach to your pay-per-views. And really kind of harness in, if if we're doing a lot of sports entertainment in different places, where New Japan and NXT seem like they're more of the pro wrestling entities, if you will, you know, really go hard into what you're already doing. You know, the fight cards, the tail, tail of the tape, the... The uh, do after things and uh, not after things, but like, you know, what I'm saying like press conferences and 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 have the two guys meet and do shit before it, you know, really treat it like that. I think all three of those guys, especially based on what Punk said as of recently with wrestling, it's more about something that intrigues him. He's not really worried about a huge payday. He likes the wrestling aspect. Blah, blah, blah. Daniel Bryan, we know where his passion lies. He would be coming back as, well, within any of this, he'd be coming back as Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, and also Joe, who might not have been as big in the industry when it comes to WWE as Daniel Bryan, as a CM Punk. But within there, I mean, these are three of the biggest guys that that company's ever had. And then you go and see what a couple other dudes are doing. You know, whether it be a Davy Richards who retired, I don't know if it's from injury, have see if he wants to come in to help out, train guys, or do something on that level. Uh, Low-key, you know, some some alumni guys. Uh, what the fuck is, I was going to say Cassius Ono, but what the hell is Chris Hero doing? You know, bring some of these guys back and really get some of these newer guys, get some new talent over there, maybe the ones that AEW is not doing a lot with uh, or have gone to NXT, try to find some new wrestling based guys and try to bring up ring of honor you know i'm just saying it's a possibility this is a huge billion multi-billion dollar company like sinclair broadcasting 
that if they if if they were to bring privy to them that hey we have a chance because we talked to them uh, to bring Daniel Bryan and CM Punk in here just those two by themselves and then also Samoa Joe maybe they put more money into it maybe they could make it bigger I'm not saying to an AEW level but God I would love something to that extent so I'm just putting that out in the fucking you know universe I don't expect it to happen but man if I if I was in charge there I would be we should fucking make we should make some contacts. I, I, I don't know why you wouldn't if you're a ring of honor. Well, I mean, I think this is why Delirious stepped down as Booker when they hired fucking uh, what's what's his fuck? Marty. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is like he got tired of them shoestringing his budget on who he could bring in, who he could have work, etc. So, I mean, the biggest thing is going to be Sinclair just not spending money. I mean, if they were able to, if they wanted to spend money to have a good wrestling promotion, they could. But, and, and they do have a good wrestling promotion regardless of that because, I mean, it really shows how good Delirious actually is. But I've heard Jim Cornette say the same thing when he was there, when they first started getting weekly TV. Like, getting them to do anything or spend any money is like pulling teeth. But, I mean, I would absolutely love that. It'd be really cool to see Samoa Joe and Daniel Bryan in a ring again. Um, especially in the Ring of Honor format. I mean, that's a throwback, right? And a lot of those guys, you said, and they have the money to do it, but, you know, they don't really, they're not on national, I mean, national TV, I guess they're on access still. I don't even know what the hell they're on, Chris, to be honest with you. I haven't watched a weekly show in a while, but I usually catch it later uh, during the week. So that is that, I mean... Everyone else, including fucking Impact, and MLW is about to too, is is on, is gonna be, be a part of the weekly program. So instead of just being a Saturday night afterthought, which I'm pretty sure is when they record their shows or show their recordings, like if they actually went out and tried to make a full fledged show, I'm just wondering, would that? Do you think that Sinclair has any idea of the level of popularity that eyes could bring to the product if they got a CM Punk or a Daniel Bryan on there. I would assume that someone there would be aware of those names, at least, you know, like even if they're not completely in love with the idea of doing wrestling, they would have their names. Every time I hear about Sinclair, it just reminds me after Ted Turner sold or when you had the time Warner merger and how that changed WCW and how, you know, they got kind of hamstringed from a company that was able to just kind of spend whatever and make as much money as possible when they had that merger and you had a bunch of people that didn't like wrestling or didn't care for wrestling that made it really hard to get shit done. And that's kind of where I throw Sinclair and even Anthem to some extent, even though they've stepped up a little bit since Don Callis has taken over. But yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. I, I mean, I wonder how much money it would take to bring in a Daniel Bryan. That's the thing, because he's going to have contract offers from everybody. I think it's the juice is worth the squeeze, I'm assuming, with someone like Daniel Bryan more so than the money. So, no, I'm sure he's going to want a lot. I'm sure he's going to be probably, if it was in that scenario, Ring of Honor making the most. I, I wouldn't expect anyone, not even Jay Lethal, making close to him. But... Probably, I'm assuming, full creative would be thrown at him, you know, uh, and he's not someone that's going to just worry about his creative, but like the creative of the fucking show and the trying to make it the best it can be, you know, and a lot of other aspects on that level of a, I think they would give him a lot of freedom 
to do what he wants. I think within the contract, like I said, if even though they're not in a working relationship with CMLL or New Japan as of this point, I think in their contract they would let fucking Daniel Bryan if they got a chance to get him. Yeah, yeah, you can you go over there in the Tokyo Dome, go fight Okada at fucking Wrestle Kingdom. Go for it. Just come back here and, you know, do your thing. And, yeah, go to fucking – go to Arena Mexico with CMLL and, and, and have a hair versus blot mask match with whoever. Um, maybe Laredo Kid. No, no, Laredo Kid's AAA, so maybe Dragon Lee, you know. Go do that. Fucking go for it. It's just making them happy because those names are big enough to garnish an audience that watches the main stuff like this would if you had ring of honor and it had potential like i said even if punk was was doing um whatchamacallit uh announcing or on commentary which is something he's talked about within wrestling um same thing with joe vice versa even if they're part of it and you get a couple of these 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 older names to be uh, you know involved as well you're going to get the eyes of both WWE and AEW looking over here at Ring of Honor like, ooh, this is actually looking pretty cool. I'm going to go check this out. It's on Saturday nights on this blah, blah, blah channel. But it just takes Sinclair Broadcasting to be like, yeah, let's do that. Let's spend money on that. You know, if, but if they don't care about wrestling, I don't know why they purchased wrestling to begin with. So I guess that's really what ends <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean they care they care about it from the standpoint here's a budget don't go over it much like Smoky Mountain Wrestling was with Rick Rubin or at least that's that's what it seems like. Uh, but I, they like I, like we talked about with Samoa Joe and CM Punk when we kind of talked we talked through that out. It's very possible Daniel Bryan has enough money to just go to Ring of Honor and say hey let's do a show together, and it's a proven formula. It worked with AEW. If you're able to book that show and get New Japan involved and Ring of Honor involved and you just want to have a big match, you could just do a pay- well, one-off pay-per-view. You know, and then... That, and go- Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I rewatched because I was kind of bored on Saturday. I rewatched because uh, I'm used to having a show record Saturday with my amazing friend right here, Christopher Ray Patton. But instead, I watched All In again. Because I forgot that I had it on Fight TV. It's just in my library of things I've purchased. And I, I have to say, man, there was something special about that pay-per-view. And it wasn't this, that this is what would be AEW. It was actually all the matches were good. None of them were bad. Uh, some of them were great to fucking fantastic. But they all were different. Nothing got too fucking hokey, I think, for the most part. I mean, you had champions from every major organization outside of the WWE there. Uh, AAA, CMLL, New Japan, Ring of Honor, Impact, working together. They had a really great battle royal, which is not something that's normal. That had, I mean, now I know everyone, but back then I didn't know who the fuck Marco Stunt was and was wondering why the hell he was there and happy that Bully Ray destroyed him very quickly in the middle of the damn ring. But, you know, just... It was a New Japan match. It was a classic WWE match, Ring of Honor mixed match. You know, it was a classic NWA match. And you had the mega champion or the uh, the Lucha Underground champion going against the New Japan champion. And then fucking Okada and Marty, who was big at that time. And the tag match, I mean, it was different. And I kind of wish that there was all in. If, if that they ever do that again, it's not just about AEW. It's about getting a bunch of organizations together to make a badass card. But I love the idea of twisting it and making it more UFC or boxing style. 
kind of get away from a lot of the gaga, I guess. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, Ring of Honor is the reason they got that show off the ground, because they had the best pay-per-view tie-in. So, I mean, you could still see something like that. Even if they don't want to sign Daniel Bryan to a deal, it's possible they could do a pay-per-view, though, with him, because that's going to get you're going to get that money back. If, even if you sign Daniel Bryan for a one-off or Samoa Joe for a one-off, I would assume that those pay-per-view numbers would be pretty big. So you're not you're not really as hamstrung by the budget as you would be if you're going to sign Daniel Bryan to actually a wrestling contract where he's going to show up on your weekly TV, et cetera. So that may be the best way for ring of honor to approach it is to do a one-off. And they've been doing that recently with people like EC3 anyways, you know, like right now, Dalton Castle's not under contract. He's on a per appearance contract. So, I mean that once again, that more points to the fact that Sinclair doesn't want to spend any money. You would assume you would want your former champion Dalton Castle to be under contract for you, uh, just in case he did want to go somewhere else. But whatever, man, that's a weird ass company. I actually feel for Delirious. Uh, he's done a really good job. They have that women's tournament going on right now, trying to breathe some life back into the women's division in Ring of Honor. And they just did the pride stuff like we've talked about. So, I mean, they're trying, damn it, but they're trying with very limited resources. All in all, I have to say is that Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, whatever he decides to do, I'm looking forward to the next chapter. If he shows up at NXT, I'm going to be excited about it. If he shows up at Ring of Honor AEW, I'll be excited about it. I won't be excited about it if he shows up at Raw. I'll be very, very disappointed. <laughs> but pretty much any other format, it's up to Daniel Bryan. I'm just saying, man, him and Jonathan Gresham for the pure title, that would be a fucking great match. But let's move on to some shows chris we got we got two big ones i think you mentioned one of them earlier actually uh we got we got this uh aw uh dynamite blood and guts 5 5 2021 uh you know last wednesday we had a pay-per-view dynamite if you will they both them and nxt have done this I guess SmackDown did it, but we'll try to get to that once the, the fucking retro thing. God damn it. Um, but yeah, Blood in Guts. I just got to ask you start this off because I think that me and you are going to kind of go over issues that we had and a lot of the things uh, established. And not so much in the actual, for me at least, the actual War Games match itself, but a lot of stuff actually before that uh, and the choice they decided to do and the referees they decided to pretend weren't there and 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 such but we found out and there was a lot of people that were posting about this that were there very upset and angry about this the first hour was not live and for all the live audience which they had pretty good number in the crowd which was great for the blood and guts match itself they had to watch basically a giant television with the first hour playing and uh, for the price of the tickets, they weren't. A lot of people weren't happy. Chris, did you know about this? I did not know about this, but it doesn't surprise me because they have production issues where their matches go overtime a lot, and that's why you have so much picture in picture. So they probably wanted to make sure that they had whatever they had set aside for the what the blood and guts match was like almost 40 minutes long, right? Yeah. I, I, another th- reason why, and I get this, they can't have, there's nothing to hang 
the the cage from because it's an open arena. So they had to have the cage already set up. So basically what people were watching was kind of like a drive-in. The first hour was the cage in front of them, and then back behind that, a giant television screen playing the first hour that was pre-recorded. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I, they're going to be limited to what they could do because that's an open-air arena. So like like you just said, they can't hang the cage up. and. But I don't know. WWE does this. They've thrown up cages in like 10 minutes at open arena WrestleManias. I'm, I mean, I'm just saying. Oh, that evil WWE and what they do. And Anyways, why don't we go to the first match? Uh, we had Kenny Omega and Michael Nakazawa against John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. And uh, basically at the first, uh, Don Callis informed Michael Nakazawa that Kenny wasn't coming. And uh, that was kind of new to Nakazawa, uh, who was like, what the hell? So we had, you know, the uh, Moxley and Kingston come out. Kenny attacks them. And match starts. I mean, it's basically Kenny trying to get cheap shots in. Uh, while Michael Nakazawa gets completely rocked for most of it. And then towards the end, Kenny said, screw this, and let Michael uh, get their double-team finishing mood from Kingston and uh, Moxley, and uh, left, or so we thought. And then he came back with the Good Brothers, and for the millionth time, I think now, them, the Bucks, Michael Nakazawa, uh whatever the hell that other bald guy is that's the bucks michael nakazawa basically uh yeah the bucks michael nakazawa brandon cutler brandle cuttlefish uh yeah and moxley and eddie what all right i'm just gonna fucking say it if we have moxley who's gonna be leaving pretty soon in the future you would think that they would want to do one of these fucking beatdowns as an angle to get him out of this there's no one that wants to help out Kingston and Moxley. All right. Not only that, it's like the repetitive nature of how they set up their matches. They'll have two weeks where they have the same beginning, same fucking ending, same people in the matches. Not much is different. And I swear to God, we've seen the elite bullets. I don't know what the fuck they're called. Uh, beat the hell out of these two guys. Uh, what was different uh, within this chris just out of curiosity i guess moxley and kingston got a win in the ring oh yeah that's, that's a good point that, i mean but that's about the only difference it was the same it's the same beatdown, and that's i have a problem with this story angle because john moxley looks like a fucking geek and him and kingston both because they have no friends meanwhile everyone else in this entire company has friends so <laughs> Either they must be terrible to hang around with or something. Uh, I mean, that's something where it's starving for someone like a uh, like a Samoa Joe. If you're going to bring if you're going to bring him in or do something like that, that's a storyline where it's it's almost needed at this point to bring someone in just to help these guys. And I thought they were doing that with Christian because they kind of teased it, but he's not been there. So I, I you know. Where the storyline goes, to me, it's just Moxley is continuing to get beat down until he leaves, or they do one big final match. But, hey, what the hell do I know? Maybe Moxley's not going to leave. 
and he's just gonna, <laughs> he's just gonna keep wrestling through this entire birth of his child. I mean, it, it it's happened before in wrestling. It's just it's not what I assume is gonna happen just based on how WWE handles things now, where you know the Miz takes like two or three months off. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I mean Moxley's the type of guy that would think that yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna work while while the baby's born. Why why wouldn't I? I mean, it's whatever. And then like wanna do something where obviously it's not the baby, but he's got like the baby on one of his arms and like a little satchel and just whip whoops someone's ass in a fucking match. Um Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. Uh I was kinda hoping and this is a long shot, but I was kinda hoping that maybe Either Sammy Callahan, who has a problem directly with Kenny Omega and has friendship with, um, you know, John Moxley, or maybe even a Nick Gage, man. Maybe we could have a, a team CZW, you know what I'm saying? And then you could have like uh, Joey Nutella or Jelly Nutella, Joey Janella, whatever, um, want to join and they all just kick the shit out of him and throw him off the same. God damn it. We're about to talk about that Darby Allen. Fucking, <laughs> that was so stupid. All right, let's let's move on. We, uh, well, I mean, do you have we, any we, last we comments? Talk. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about a CZW group bringing in sick Nick Mondo or something, like bringing back some crazy fucking person. Nick Gage, the would real be one. CZW uh, <laughs> invasion, kind of like the ECW invasion, but. The one thing I will say is that AEW announced they're about to start touring again. So if we thought Moxley was going to take time off, I'm assuming that he might take some time off here. Especially yeah. if they're going to start touring again. Because right now, they're just always a Daily's Place. It's every Wednesday, whether they're recording it or not recording it. It's one day a week. But once you start adding travel and shit in there, that kind of becomes a different story. Because they're still going to be doing AEW Dark and other crap and i don't know how often he has to be there for that but that that is something to say to you need to find a way to ensure that if he's not going to be there people will still care about that storyline yeah no i agree with you that's a that's a good point i kind of forgot that they're about to go on tour again which uh good for them you know they're going in certain places and it will be good to get a wrestling company and i know that wwe is more approaching it post SummerSlam, but if cases keep on going down, we'll see what happens in the time uh, being, but it's going to be nice to finally see fucking wrestling in front of an audience. That's what that's, that's for damn sure. Um, I don't know. One of the funniest things I, I, I've at one part in this match, and this is something they got to do, man. It's just like the weight belts in the next match. We're about to talk about like, how the fuck is that not a foreign object or how is Arn Anderson punching someone and kicking the crap out of him, not like interfering with the match. Like I remember JR was like, is this a tornado tag match? And they're like, uh, no, it's, it's, it's not, you know, Excalibur tries to like counter it, but can we like the biggest gripe? I would say, I don't know if it's a big, no, I think this is the biggest is making your referees look fucking stupid. And I'm already not a big fan of Rick Knox. I know that he's going to do the bare, like, like the, the, the smallest amount of refereeing. But, like, Bryce Ginsburg, Aubrey Edwards, I forgot what the other guy is with the black hair. They're not bad refs. I've seen them ref before in other places. It's just this format, whether it be 
direct interference in front of them or using a fucking weapon or, or you know, screw the tag stuff. It just it, it gets really annoying. Or not counting them out when they've been out there for like 15 fucking minutes doing a spot. I mean, when do you think they're going to take a crack at that and, and try to get tighter about that? Right now, it seems like never, but they should just say that it's always ECW rules if that's the case. I mean, if if, if disqualifications are never going to happen and you're not going to enforce the rules, then every match should just be no DQ. I agree. And, th- and then you don't have to fucking worry about it. But right now, trying to pretend like there's rules when there's really not, it comes off comes off very shitty, in my opinion. Like, it's, it's almost Lazy. like... Yeah, and, and you know, WWE did this. The triple threat matches used to have rules. And then when they realize that, you know, we always have to have a guy outside of the ring at some point, I guess we'll just make all triple threat matches no rules. Right? <laughs> That's kind of where they're at uh, with this shit, because it's every match. It, this one was like almost every match. There was fuckery. Uh, which is fine if you're, if you're going to do DQ finishes. Or, you know what? Do a ref bump. How about that? God, I swear. Just <laughs> you can't you can't be like, oh well we're not doing fuck finishes like WWE, but you just don't fucking process the rules. That's not a good counterpoint, I don't think. Well yeah, because you're still doing a fuck finish, except for the referee has no chance to actually call it a disqualification. <laughs> so dumb. It's just a different way of calling it a fuck finish. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, we, so the next match was QT Marshall versus Cody Rhodes. Quite confused because I thought we'd try to get more out of this. It seems like Cody has like a big feud with Pentagon in one match, and that's it. And now he did with QT Marshall. Maybe maybe this is setting up Dustin versus QT for long term, but Cody definitely won. But uh, I was listening to Jim Cornette, and he was talking about this. And he's, he was like, he's like, QT Marshall, his crew. He's like, he's like, he's got... He's got Camarado, Nick Camarado, Solo, and Anthony Agogo. It sounds like something that uh, fucking Papa Shango would have said, like Camarado, Solo, Agogo, Camarado, Solo, Agogo, to put like a voodoo curse on someone. And <laughs> I thought that was fucking hilarious, and uh, I had to mention that. Camarado. I, I kind of thought. Like- when you do it that way, it's almost like Jabba the Hutt speaking, honestly. Jabba Solo. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Jimmy Wadawanga. All right. Um, this match was, I mean, it was good. It was a, it was a match with QT Marshall and Cody. I mean, they, they are both good wrestlers. Um, like I said, I just think that, that Cody a lot, it's like he's got to be behind the scenes. He's filming something over wherever for a game show or his own Miz show or whatever the fuck. So they get him in for these small little feuds and they get him out. And I feel like there was a conclusion at the end of this because QT Marshall lost. But now I guess we're going to put Cody against Anthony Gogo since he, uh, you know, hit him in the stomach afterwards. But, um, I mean, the match was fine. Uh, once again, I don't know why it bothers me, but I just don't think QT Marshall it's, it's, it's because it's a heel. I just don't think the diamond cutter is a good move for him. Maybe I'm just crazy. But um, a bunch of reversing of, of Tombstone Pile Drivers, which was very, very nifty. But, um, yeah, it, I, the biggest thing is, like I said, 
is the weight belt interaction where Cody was going to do it, and then the referee stopped him, but then QT Marshall started doing it with his, and then it didn't get stopped, and then when QT Marshall got in Arn Anderson's face, it was awesome seeing Fiery Arn, you know, just beat the living hell out of this guy, but it was like, okay, that was really directly in front of the referee, so it just took me out of the match. So I guess from this, are we going a go-go and Cody and Dustin against QT? Like, was this good for QT Marshall, this whole entire build-up, if this is it? Uh, well, considering it wasn't doing anything beforehand, I guess it's fine for QT, right? Yeah, is it, that's a good point. Is it, is it fine for everyone else involved? I don't know. <laughs> that's kind of the bigger question, is, like, why the hell is Cody involved in this when his company is being taken over by uh, former friend Kenny Omega? I mean, st- that's still going to be my question. Right. So the match itself, like the even the was it a go-go that gets hit with a chair at the end of this? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, that was never mind. I'm thinking of the pre the previous week with uh with with Dustin. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where they're going with this man. I mean, it's fine for a mid card thing. It's just weird to me that they have so many good people on dark, but we have time for this shit on the main product, but not like SEU. <sighs> You know, (laughs) like that's more of the issue is that QT Marshall and Dustin, I thought would be a fine feud if it was just those two and we were just going to build it up for like a a one off match. But as soon as we started turning into these little fractured groups and now Cody's involved, uh, my ability to care has kind of flown out the window. And like you said, a lot of things took you out of this match. It was cool to see Arn punch somebody, but uh, I was not the biggest fan of this match. And, And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. I wasn't a big fan of most of the shit on the show outside of the main event. So uh, people should just go ahead and if you're listening out there, get you get used to me not liking most of this shit. Um, also, I want to know, since a go go after knocking him out with a gut punch, um, why the Union Jack English flag was put on Cody? We don't have a problem with England. That, that was like the fucking the, the 1700s. Like, how is that? Like, a ha-ha. Uh, that would be like if Canada. Like, all right, you know, I mean, just uh, just interesting shit. That's all I got to say all the way around. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I guess because he's the American Nightmare. Ah, okay. Maybe right. they're doing American Nightmare versus the UK Nightmare. I don't know. That's my Camarato solo go go. <laughs> That's that's my that's my best best guess on what that was. Oh man! All right, well, we're not getting a match with Arn Anderson anytime soon in the future, so that sucks. I want to see him beat the fuck out of someone. All right, uh, our next match, or it wasn't a match. This was what we were talking about earlier. Two guys that are building themselves as a tag team on YouTube, but then attacking Sting and Darby Allen at the end of this. Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky, both got a promo, said a lot of heel stuff, essentially. Darby Allen comes to try to jump them, and, uh, yeah, I I don't know why the fuck Darby Allen decides to do some of the crazy shit that he does. Uh, but this was really stupid. And I know, because I've heard Mick Foley talk about it, and I've also heard Jim Cornette talk about Jerry Lawler and how he would get punched and there was a 
quote unquote working and or stuntman way of going down bleacher stairs or stairs in general uh, without. Well, he just looked like he fucking got destroyed and all that. There wasn't. I, I know this is Darby. I know he likes to do crazy shit like this. When is it going to get to a point, though, where Tony Khan and AEW's like, you know what? Body bag in the fucking getting drive by the car. This like maybe maybe some of this shit's not smart for him to do. Like getting thrown downstairs when you have one of their championship belts. And for the first time, not there to help him. His dad, Sting. Where was his dad? <laughs> his emo dad is Sting. Uh, yeah, this is this is my big pro- biggest problem with this storyline. Like, how many fucking groups are Sting and Darby feuding with at the same time? I don't know. And does Lance Archer like them or hate them? I don't know, because originally he was wanting to feud with Sting, or it seemed like they were building a match to him and Sting. And, and what does that mean for Jake if Sting is also going to be his emo emo daddy? <laughs> and then you had the weird Miro promo where he calls out Sting and Darby. And then you have uh, Taz's group going after Darby and Sting, still kind of. And then now this. So they're like the most hated people in wrestling. Uh, <laughs> like they have more feuds going on than Roman Reigns, which sounds crazy. Yeah, man, it's crazy. I don't know. But, but uh, Darby, uh, we, we fucking nut. Yeah, with him falling down the stairs, like I, I I'm completely agree with why does he have to do something like this on every show? Shouldn't it be more of a special moment? When you do something like this, like because if you do it on every show, then people start expecting it, and then you become Shane McMahon, right? Well, here's the thing. I'll say I'll take Shane, I'll take Mick, and I'll take Jeff, who he's compared with, Jeff Hardy. You know what the difference is between Darby doing some crazy shit that he does on these shows and those three three guys? Those three guys did it in fucking matches. Darby goes down fucking stairs, jumps off a fucking skateboard, jumps off a fucking bridge, you know, gets gets driven from a fucking in, in an air or a uh, a body bag by a car. Like none of that is actually in the match, so you're not risking something stupid for the sake of a match. You're doing it to build up an angle, I guess. It doesn't make any sense. Or make yourself look tough. What makes me think Darby's tough, Chris, is that Darby acts tough in a match. Yeah, I agree. And like, are you going to have Sting lose in this feud? Like, even if you end up doing a tag match like they did before, Sting and Darby have to go over. So what's the what's the end goal for Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page coming out of this other than they're going to take a loss to Darby Allen and Sting? Well, at least they build up a record of, of like probably six or seven wins on fucking YouTube. Yeah, good good call. That's yeah. But uh, so the Darby stuff as far as like when Tony Khan's going to tell him to stop, I don't know. That to me that shit flew out the window when they let Matt Hardy continue wrestling after cracking his goddamn head open. Oh, so God. <laughs> I, I guess they'll tell him to stop when he gets seriously hurt. That would be my guess. You're not allowed to talk about the Matt Hardy stuff. This is a new company, Chris. They're allowed to have some mistakes. Like, you know, once in a while when there's an explosion supposed to happen, it's poof. Or once a guy's supposed to get thrown off a fucking cage and it's like poof. 
You know, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to say anything about AEW in a negative way. Bunch I may of poops. not. I may not be allowed to, but I'm definitely gonna do it anyways. Uh, all right. Well, I thought this was great. Britt Baker against Julia Hart, and Britt just fucking destroyed her and made her look like an idiot. It was a great heel in it. I love the smiles that she had that were great pictures I saw online when she had her in the lock, uh, Miss Julia Hart. And that was it. She just was – she came in. She did what she said she was going to do. She gets another win, and she's on her way to Hikurushita. This was smart booking, I would say, Chris. Yeah, this was fine. It was just a squash match. There was nothing egregious about this, and Britt's doing a good job of taking off. Uh, I like the new DMD thing she's doing that she makes Tony Schiavone do. That's great. Um, and the match itself was fine for what it was, but it's, I mean, it was just a quick squash match. There's not too much to really look into there, I guess. Yep. Taz had a breakdown of Christian Cage and his flaws. Uh, I love these little segments that he does. I wish that he would do it more. Um, you know, putting over his guys in certain ones and then also just completely discrediting the person that uh, the other person is going to go against. I'm pretty sure we're getting Christian against uh, Brian, so it'll be Cage and Cage sometime soon. And Nick Cage, uh, not Nick Gage, but Nick Cage is going to be doing the special refereeing, Chris. Did you hear about this? Like Nicholas Cage? Didn't he just pass away recently? No, Nicholas Cage didn't pass away, but I was kidding either way. Did he pass away? I'm, I thought I read that somewhere. Maybe I'm losing it. Well, regardless, do you like do you like Taz's little breakdown videos like that? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. Yes, he's I do. He's still alive. Yeah, he's still, still alive. alive. All right, so internet rumors there. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe that's I'm still a, alive. I just when when I'm in like movies, I talk like this, and uh, at some point I start freaking out. And I get really angry. That's that's my Nicholas Cage impression. He's still pissed about them putting the bees on his head, man. The it's... bees! Oh my <laughs> god. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Let him rough this match. <laughs> why not? Um. I liked Taz's little breakdown segments, like you said. It was funny how he went after Christian. The thing I don't like is um, he does these, but then he immediately puts over the guy whenever they're in a match with <laughs> But I know why he does that. It's, you know, because it makes your guy look good if he's going to take the loss. So, I mean, it makes sense. But at the same time, you just spent, you know, five minutes telling me all of Christian's weaknesses. You should probably tell uh, the guys that are wrestling him those directly. Coach Taz. Hey, y'all, uh, I'm from fucking New York. I'll fucking kill you. He's angry. <laughs> he is the uh, AEW John Madden, though, basically, <laughs> with the, with these breakdowns. If you look over here. <laughs> <laughs> they, they need to get him a pin and pat, like a yellow, the yellow stream gimmick that they had. And, uh, you know, when when Madden would break these down and be hilarious. If you look over here, I'll, okay. Anyways, I'm gonna the four-way tag team eliminator match: Jurassic Express, SCU, The Acclaim, uh, Varsity Blondes. I kind of said what I thought about this match in the way that it was fine. There was a lot. At one point, I had no idea who the fucking legal person was, and it went all out. But I wish 
in retrospect, since I don't know exactly what the tag standings are. It would have been nice if it was just SCU, which we knew were going to fucking win, because if they lose a match, they're done, and they're, they're second to the Young Bucks. I don't know why we think anything, but if it was SCU versus, because of the fact that Pillman's doc was coming out and everything, against the, the Varsity Blondes, and they had like a, a good tag match that the referee was doing their job, and it was a tag match. I think I would have enjoyed it more so than the uh, four-way. And Marco Stunt was out there, so that was good. I like that. Um, what did you think about this match, Chris? Uh, obviously, SoCal Uncensored won. Yeah, I mean, the match itself was pretty pretty good overall. I, I kind of agree with you. I wish, you know, maybe just do... SEU versus the varsity uh, varsity blondes. I wouldn't have had a problem with that. It's are these supposed to be the next four in line for a title shot? Because I haven't seen the acclaim. I mean, I guess they're winning on dark or something, but I haven't seen them win a match in a while. I don't know. I have no idea. I guess. Do you want me to look up the the uh, the latest standings in AEW? The ratings. Uh, uh, you can. I think I texted you immediately during this match. I was like, all right, well, I guess Frank Frankie Kazarian's about to carry these fuckers. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of what happened. Frankie Kazarian was amazing in this match, as expected. And uh, it was – didn't Daniels get the pin? It's been a while since uh, I saw that. Yeah, Daniels, they did their little double thing where he does the best moonsault ever into – I think Frankie's doing a – is he doing a tombstone? I can't remember, but they got it on yeah. Pillman. Um, I really, I really enjoyed the stuff with Pillman and, and Kazarian in the ring together, um, and Jungle Boy and Pillman. It was cool seeing them lock up. Uh, so, do you want to know the rankings? Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's hear what these rankings are. All right, so as of May fifth, from the last show, in we're going to talk about the fucking men's in a second because I'm really confused based on what the hell they decided to do. So we'll, we'll, we'll just do the, uh, the tag. So the Jacksons, obviously a champion. 12 to 0, SCU. Jurassic Express is next with seven, uh, seven wins and zero losses. Varsity Blondes, 10 wins and two losses. The Acclaimed, 6 and 1. And FTR with 4 and 0. Because FTR doesn't do YouTube, and they've been, you know, doing stuff involved with that storyline. So this is, this makes sense. They, those were the top four teams. I'm actually, I really don't have a problem with this one. The the when we get to the heavyweight one, in reference to the uh, promo with Kenny and Orange Cassidy, I'm going to come back to this. But um, yeah, seven to seven zero is higher than ten and two. I guess there's two losses. That's see, this is what I don't know because at that point, doesn't it become strength of competition? Um, yeah, that's that's what I would think. But I guess not because ones. I mean, it, you really can only compare apples to apples, not apples to oranges, right? So it is weird. They did this with a like you said with a heavyweight one. It was also kind of weird like this. But who the hell are they beating on dark? Like, oh. <laughs> who's the jobber tag team that let? Like, how did they rack up 10 wins, 7 wins, 6 wins, etc.? Like, what teams 12 are they wins, even. I love SCU, but where where the fuck's these 12 wins? Where did they come from? 
Yeah, and I don't really think they did a good job of explaining these are the top four. I just assumed that they were the top four in the rankings. Well, hey, we, we can't argue because the guy that is in charge of this is an analytics expert. So, you know. Oh. oh. And, and plus, Tony Khan won Booker of the Year, so it's, it's all solid gold. Good job during a pandemic. That's all I got to say. Oh, God, we're coming off angry. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I was. This made me more pumped. I really liked the package they had for the IWGP US title match between Jon Moxley, the current champion, and legendary New Japan wrestler Yuji Nagata. Um, now, even though I like Yuji Nagata, would I have been more excited if it was uh, someone that Yuji Nagata went against as of recently? Mr. Minoru Suzuki? Yeah, probably. That's because I love their, their destruction they had beforehand. And I was hoping that he was going to be the one to try to go after it. I don't know if Yuji's going to... Um, it would make sense that maybe because of what happens with Kenny, Yuji Nagata wins, then maybe leaves, and then Kenny and everyone jump him and then, I don't know, break his leg or pulmonize him or something. Um, but I'm looking forward to this match. It should be fun. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing in the concept that New Japan is having one of their titles defended on AEW's programming, so that means at least a better direction than they were with the relationship with them in New Japan. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I have to agree with you there. It is good to see that the title is going to be defended there, and there's hopes in the future that maybe we'll see more of that. But uh, really hard for Moxley to cut a promo after he just got his ass whipped at the very beginning of the show. Yeah, like, you know, well, it's like, pre-tape, so it doesn't matter, I guess. Is <laughs> they, they were the, the next thing is so egregious that Kenny and Michael Nakazawa, after getting their asses kicked, especially Michael, they come out like they're fine next, and obviously the audience noticed that one was recorded on a monitor in the background, and then this was actually live. But well, I digress, you know. Yeah, but uh, all we've seen for like. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If you're a Nagata fan, you'd be like, well, he should be able to beat Moxley since he's taken like 17 ass whippings in the past four weeks. <laughs> he should. So maybe Nagata is going to pick up this title. I think that's a that's maybe a weird choice to put it on. But like like we said, uh, they got to do something with Moxley soon as far as that title goes. I mean, he hasn't he's held it for what, a year and a half now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when did he Long win that time? Yeah, and he's defended it once. He he beat what, uh, Kenny Ford, right? Uh, Juice. Kenny was the first. You, oh no, that's right. He Juice beat someone that beat Kenny, and I don't remember who the fuck that is. And then he and defended like def- it. He defended against Minora, and he defended it against Kenta. So he's had two defenses since winning the thing, as far as I can recall. Mm. Well, like I said, Tamatanga or, or Minoru Suzuki next if, if Moxley still has it. I don't know. Like we keep on saying, there's only a certain amount of time, especially if they go on the road. Moxley's about to have a baby, so there's always that. So, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. So, Kenny comes out. I'll just say at the start of this, there were quite a few people 
that were not happy with the presentation of this. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but I knew Bully Ray, and it's not because he was at TNA at one point. He just he was basically stating, which Booker T has said, uh, that the relationship, that even though Impact might be making more with their pay-per-views than they have in a long time, it's not really too large of a leap and they're not they're getting out the least out of this relationship it seems like because a lot of people weren't happy and like bully said that i don't, I don't know how i don't think he gives a shit that uh you know conan and triple h should be happy about this that he has a w title and then he has the other titles on nakazawa instead of actually holding them all up himself um i don't know if you read any of this from wrestlers that were kind of you know, annoyed uh, about that. But um, did you have a problem with not holding up all the other titles? I thought it was hilarious personally, but no, I mean, I don't have a problem with it because he's basically just a Butler. He's Kenny's whipping boy. It's not like he's claiming to be holding the titles or anything. I mean, I'd have a problem if he started saying that Nakazawa was going to defend them, but like we've had managers hold people's titles before. And not the actual wrestler. Like, that's not that fucking crazy of a thing. To me, at least. Uh, maybe it's just because it's Michael Nakazawa and uh, he is baby wheel guy in a lot of people's minds. Which, if if that's the case, then yeah, I kind of I kind of get it. But he's, he's Kenny's whipping boy, essentially, in the storyline. So Kenny making him hold the titles is just Kenny being Kenny. But I thought Kenny was good in this promo. Like I said, I personally didn't have that big of a deal with it, but I can understand some of the reasoning that they were stating, um, at least what Bully was saying. Um, but I, I liked him in this promo. I like that we get it. Okay, this is where we're going to go back to this, because I don't understand this, Chris. Okay, I understand he's the analytics expert. You know, for the ranking for apparently both Darby and Kenny, but only Kenny because Darby takes open challenges. We just don't talk about that. Uh, we have Orange Cassidy, who's had eight wins, period. Pac, who's had five wins. Uh, Moxley, six and one. Brian Cage, five and one. And listen to this. Adam Page is eight and one, and he's the last. He was second to go against fucking Kenny, lost one match, and is underneath a five and one and a six and one with... Brian Cage and Moxley. Explain me that. How the fuck is he that low <laughs> from one loss and two guys that have one loss as well and less wins are ahead of him with Moxley and Cage? Uh, well, that's when you have to start explaining strength of competition. That's why I asked if that matters in their ranking system because if he, you know, if they're saying that Adam Page went against lesser opponents than, say, you know, Brian Cage, for instance. So even though he has less wins, it was against stronger competition, which would be hard to believe since Brian Cage has probably won a lot of his matches off uh, the primary show. But you know, maybe that's a different but story did, for a different day. Isn't Brian Cage's loss from Adam Page? I think so. <laughs> so I don't know how that works. Dumb. So stupid. <sighs> All right. So for the sake of the pay-per-view. Because we're going to get Orange Cassidy versus Kenny Omega somehow. Uh, they're announcing that the top two, Orange Cassidy and Pac, 
Tony Schiavone told Kenny that they will be fighting. The winner will go against him. And I start having the same attitude as Kenny when he's talking his promo. And I'm texting you like, oh, awesome. There's no way fucking Orange Cassidy is going to win this damn match. So, you know, we're going to get finally a third match between Pac and Kenny. They're even. They had, the last one that Kenny won was a great uh, 30-minute uh, Iron Man match on Dynamite about a year, maybe a year and a half ago. So I'm looking forward to that. And Kenny's hyping it up. He's like, you know, Pac's a great uh, competitor. He'll be a great one to to beat, uh, you know, defending. And, you know, Shivani asked, well, what about Orange Cassidy? What if he wins? And he says, give me a break. There's no way that he's going to be able to beat someone like Pac. And if even if he did, I'll just go right through them. And then Orange Cassidy comes out. And that's when I go, oh, no. Like, I like Orange Cassidy. But, like, this is double or nothing. Like, they're really going to fucking just have him go against Kenny Omega? We know he's going to lose. At least we can have, like, a competitive match where there's some semblance where Pac can make us think throughout the course of a great match with Kenny that he actually might be able to do it. He might be able to pull it off. I don't have that same type of concept. With Orange Cassidy. I understand he beat Chris Jericho, but since then, he hasn't done a goddamn thing. And, man, this is like Jim Cornette's ultimate fucking AEW match. I can't wait to hear him call this one afterwards uh, between his two favorite characters. Um, but, yeah, I and then Kenny kind of berates him. He steals his sunglasses, notes that they're very expensive, gives them to Michael Nakazawa, and Orange Cassidy doesn't do shit. If Orange Cassidy... If he was talking shit, took his glasses, blah, 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 and Orange Cassidy, you know, reached over to Nakazawa, grabbed his glasses, put them back on, didn't make, like, an angry face or anything like that, and just cold-cocked Kenny right in the fucking face and dropped him, and then they had to be pulled apart or something like that. That would have been a little bit intrigued, but now I just saw the baby face get completely annihilated (laughs) by the heel, and I just don't see... I don't know why we're going to get Pac to have a loss against Orange Cassidy, and this will be the double-or-nothing heavyweight title main event. And Adam Adam Page somehow shrunk down to fucking last. I still don't understand that either. Okay, whatever. I'm done. Well, did they did they tell us when this match is going to be? with? Maybe I missed it with Pac and, and Orange Cassidy. Double-or-nothing. I have it right here. Okay, so they're going to have that match, and then that sets up the Kenny Omega match? No, no, no. Uh, this next week is going to be Pac, or two days from now on Wednesday, Dynamite. It's going to be Pac and Orange Cassidy. Whoever wins that will go against Kenny at double or nothing at the end of this month. Gotcha. So do you think this is a scenario where Pentagon turns on the bastard Pac? Since he's already being a heel in this group. Ooh, I love that idea. Because, I mean, if that's where they're going to go with this, like if they're just going to have a backstage interaction and then there's, a, you know, he does a turn and Orange Cassidy ends up winning that way. Uh, it's a little less egregious. Plus, whoever faces uh, Kenny at double or nothing is probably losing. So would you rather save that match for down the line and have Orange Cassidy take the loss? I mean, I could see it either way, but as far as Orange Cassidy not responding, that's kind of in his character's wheelhouse. It takes him a while to get pissed off before he 
starts talking and responding in the manner that you're talking about. And also, he doesn't know if he's in the match yet or not. That's the other thing. So we'll see. I mean, they're they're building Orange Cassidy as the um, sympathetic babyface here, as he's been in all of his other matches. And he pulls off that role very convincingly and does make you believe, or to me at least, like when he was wrestling Chris Jericho, going into that, I'm like, there's no way that fucking Orange Cassidy is beating Chris Jericho. And it took him a couple tries, but it was believable. He was believable in each of those matches when he turns on you know, the other side of Orange Cassidy. I didn't have a huge problem with this. It is just weird that it's not Hangman Adam Page, but obviously they're saving that for down the line since they don't have anyone that can uh, help out Moxley and, and Eddie Kingston in this feud as they're just getting annihilated. And I guess they're more feuding with the Bucks than Kenny, which makes no sense since Moxley <laughs> lost the title to Kenny. But that's uh, too many fucking uh, too many roosters in the hen house. Kind of thing, almost, with some of these storylines. Too many Motley crew members in the whorehouse. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, What the hell was I going to say? I don't remember. Uh, Orange Cassidy, though. I mean, like I said, I like Orange Cassidy, but, like, they're... (sighs) The concept of realism, I think that there is a better way. It's kind of like the Rich Swan thing. Now, like you said, I don't expect Pac or Orange Cassidy to beat Kenny Omega. We're going down the line, probably, I'm assuming, to August, because that's when he's going against Andrade, so maybe he'll lose the AEW title beforehand unless he keeps it past that and also retains the AAA title, because I don't think he's losing AAA or Impact until he loses the AEW title. But, you know... Where, where the fuck was I going with this? With with the, the believability aspect. If him and Pac are in a match and having a really good match, the false finishes at the end of that match, I might be like, holy fuck, maybe they're just about to put this on Pac. That would be crazy. Because it's Pac, the intensity's there, he's already beaten him in the past, it'll be like a fluke win, he's second in line anyways. Orange Cassidy, there's no fucking way whatsoever I'm going to believe that he's going to win this match. And there's no way that he's going to be able to 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 make me think that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be a dick, but, I mean, he did it with Jericho, so who knows? I would say the believability is more so there with me in Orange Cassidy than it is with Rich, Rich Swan or the Bastard Pac, just because you have the best friends. So at least he has someone that will actually have his back. Look, as much as I, this whole entire elite concept is kind of annoying me and not really getting over, Kenny Omega loses because the best friends, especially Chucklefuck, gets involved and Orange Cassidy becomes the AEW champion. I'm done. I'm taking a break. I, I, no. I'm just saying, like, to me, it's more, I mean, and also Orange Cassidy is the biggest baby face they have. So uh, That's true. That's true. It's not super far-fetched that he could get a surprise victory. I think it's not going to (laughs) happen. Like, I don't think that's going to happen at all. I feel like you would bring in someone like Andrade or or like we kind of talked about earlier, someone to come in and fill the role of Moxley and then Moxley get another shot down the line when he's actually got a little bit of a group behind him just to help him out. But, you know, we'll see. All right, should we go over the War Games match, Chris? Well, well, also, Miro was there. He said that unless um, Darby Allen can't uh, 
make the match. They'll be at this Wednesday's Dynamite. Uh, he'll have to forfeit, but Miro's supposed to go against Darby Allen this next Wednesday for the TNT title match. And he was very angry. I think there's a good chance he's going to get that title away from Darby Allen, and they'll use the stairs, uh, you know, injury as the reason why to get it off of him. Yeah, I agree with you, and I have no problem with that because you don't need Miro taking another loss here, especially after he cut these two great promos back-to-back. And Darby can always go back after it after he gets through Ethan Page and, and Scorpio Sky, which seems to be more of where that feud is is headed. So if that's the case, then there's I have absolutely no problem with Miro picking up this belt and uh, just destroying people. All right, man. We're down to it. The pinnacle... The inner circle. It's it's over. I like the prison uniforms that uh, the inner circle had on. Uh, they all had the nearest prison uh, from which they were from, um, and uh, I thought that was really cool. I loved the the look though of the, the the pinnacle and them having like these gaudy white and purple like you know certain thing and kind of smart to wear white because of uh, there's going to be lots of blood in this. Uh, I love that the cage itself was taller, so you couldn't, like, you know, smash Brian Pillman like Psycho Sid did in that one match where you smash him against the top of it, trying to give him the powerbomb, just slammed him. That probably would suck. So it was a large cage. I like the structure. I like the look of it wrapped around everything. Um, and I thought that the people that stood out the most – Sammy, Santana, they were fucking fireballs. I thought that FTR did an excellent job corralling stuff, if you will, for certain incidents. I thought everyone had their game face on, honestly. I think that some of it, you know, I understand it's great with this company, unlike uh, NXT, that they can't do the blood. They can do it here. Some of it was a little bit over the top. Um, You know, this is something that was kind of presented by uh, Dave LaGreca. I think he was talking to Tommy Dreamer is that a lot of times, you know, because normally the baby faces win, but the heels are getting the advantage, obviously, throughout the duration of war games. Arn Anderson, the, the, the ones in the past. And a lot of times the heels, which I think Arn was the guy that started a majority of the times um, outside, maybe the leader. Usually the heels weren't the ones bleeding as much as the baby faces. All those motherfuckers got completely cut open. Sammy was cut open. I think some of it was hard away. I think what ruined the, the match itself, or didn't ruin it, but put a damper on it, was some of the, the camera work. You know, we saw literally blades or, or people trying to hold, like, high blades in certain parts where cameras were not there. The one specifically with uh, Jericho and... MJF when they're on top of the cage. But I thought that the intensity of the match was awesome. Sammy started. He went against Dax. They were just beating the living fuck out of each other. Um, and then Sean Spears came in. I like that spot where Sean Spears, uh, they, they, they positioned themselves. They jumped on the top ropes where the middle part was, and they were fighting. And then um, I, I forgot who hit him. I think it was uh, Ortiz. Hit him with a chair on the leg. He jumped to the rope that Sammy was in, and they perfectly did a Spanish fly off of it. 
it actually looked believable and just was cool in the moment. Never seen something like that happen. Uh, Dax was bleeding everywhere. I love Cash. He fucking was like a bullet out of a gun when he came in and just started like, you know, ripping through people. Uh, we we did get some interaction with uh, Hager and Wardlow, which was cool. We had like a little Braveheart moment, which they've done in NXT. Don't know if that's really necessary just because the middle part is like a little miniature ring with ropes on it. So it's not going to be the best thing to try to fight over. But either way, it was kind of a cool moment. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of specifics. Santana one time got me nervous because I thought he got stuck inside the cage on the side. But he ended up being fine. And um, I don't know. It's it, 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 The thing that sucked the most, I think, Chris, and I'll pass to you so you can talk more about it, is the commercial breaks. If you didn't get to see what happened during the commercials, it's a picture-in-picture. Picture. No one fucking pays attention to those half the goddamn time. So a lot of the stuff that they had going on, like when Tully let open up the cage and MJF ran up it trying to get away from Chris Jericho and was on top of the cage – you didn't see any of that. You didn't see Tully punch the referee or, or any of that shit. So there was that Wardlow coming in. Uh, that was during a fucking commercial break. So that kind of hindered it. But the fighting was really, really good. Uh, before we decided to make the ascent, if you will, on top of the cage between Y2J and MJF, I would say. Yeah, so I mean, I think the problem that that plagued the match in general is like you said, production issues and, and time limit issues uh, with their commercial breaks. Like if anything, if you knew you were going to be recording the first hour, you should have did more commercials during the first hour so that you didn't have these weird spots in the match. And I thought that's what, like when we talked about it being recorded and I said, that made sense. I mean, to me, this is the reason why could, you could imagine if that first hour had went over or if any of the matches there had went over their time limits, like how much more would have been cut out of this um, or picture in picture, I should say. And realistically, if they're doing these big pay-per-view shows, they should have the ability to do what WWE does and have an overrun of 10, 15 minutes. I mean, it is the network that hosts the NBA where a game might go into overtime. Uh, do people really need to see that Ben Affleck movie where he becomes a hitman again or whatever the hell that movie's called the accountant <laughs> do we you know can we just delay the accountant by 15 minutes i think everything would be all right um but yeah like all of the stuff in the ring and all the people in the ring was very good there was only one spot that scared me really i know the one you're talking about with santana but that one to me wasn't the scariest it's when wardlow picked up Hager, and I don't know if he slipped on blood or sweat or something, but he went falling ass over tea kettle towards the center between the two rings where there was not a big gap, but enough of a gap where who knows what would happen, as they say in, in, in NXT, the hardest part of the ring, the apron. Um, I was worried that Hager was going to fall face first, but Wardlow's a, a monster and was able to kind of catch him and fall a little more gently. Um just and that one was scary just because he was headed into the ropes as well. So like, who knows how you could get hung up in that shit while falling. Uh, but luckily, nothing happened coming out of that. The uh, the rest of the match, I mean, like you said, to me, Sammy Guevara and Santana were kind of the highlight. Santana specifically looked like a goddamn crazy person, like he had just murdered a whole family or something. Dude, <laughs> I had just recently seen Dead Presidents. Love the fucking makeup that him and Ortiz were wearing. That was pretty dope. 
Yeah, it, and it kind of harkens to me. Like uh, immediately, what I thought when I saw it was uh, Tamatanga and Tonga Lo when they used to do the makeup. It was also very yeah. similar to Dead Presidents. So I was like totally into that, and they were uh, they were great to watch. It just makes me like I love that they're part of the inner circle because you do get these great moments from them. But God, I just want them to be a fucking tag team. Like, don't you just want them to ruin the Young Bucks day? Like. <laughs> Dude, this feud is kind of wasted Pride and Powerful and FTR from the tag division itself. I guess they don't have room for them because there's so many for the fucking title, but, I mean, we did list the top five being, what, SCU, which I love, the Varsity Blondes. Uh, You know what I'm saying? I think Pride and Powerful and FTR should probably be higher in there. Yeah, I mean, it's like... uh SCU being there, I'm completely fine with, and but then outside of that, like I don't think there's better tag teams than FTR and Pride and Powerful. It's you know I, I like they're trying to get these other guys over like the acclaimed and you know Luchasaurus and, and that's fun and that's that's fine, but it does seem like Pride and Powerful being in the inner circle has really hurt their tag team run um, to some extent because to me they're absolute they're so great to watch. Uh, whenever they're doing any kind of beatdown, it's very fucking believable. But, uh, yeah, MJF coming in with a ring, that was great. Uh, the Wardlow spot, which we, we, you know, not the, the entrance was great too when he came into the ring, but that was picture in picture, so you missed him just clearing house. But the comeback spot, like, I think you called, like, a Braveheart moment. That was also good, you know, because he like his entire team was down and he, and he got started getting some offense and then him and Hager had to um, face up against each other. But the problem with that was the botch. Like I said, the the weird falling spot kind of killed the momentum a little bit. And then I think I have wrapped around back to the very top of the cage. So. So this is where it gets fun. Probably a lot of great action going inside the cage, but what we got was seeing MJF try to get away from Chris Jericho. Because you know the smartest thing to do to get away from a person, Shane McMahon has proved this many times, is to let them chase you on top of the fucking cage itself. (laughs) God, that makes absolutely no sense. That's fine. We understand. It's for the perspective of the, the match. It's fucking wrestling. So him and Chris Jericho are up there. They're... I could see they were trying to pass something throughout the course of them doing stuff because we st- kept on getting camera angles that were a little bit too close up based on what was going on. It was going on, I believe, during the fucking um, the Walls of Jericho. Uh, I think something was passed to MJF or some or vice versa. It just looked very busy, so I'm assuming that's where uh, the blade came into it. But yeah, we had the 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 Walls of Jericho on at some point. And I guess that they went over, even though you weren't supposed to exit the thing, Not that uh, if you give up on top of it, that still counts. So that's fine. Um, and he got out of that, put the salt of earth on there, punched him in the face with the diamond ring, and just was messing up Jericho. And finally was going to throw him and threaten to throw him off the top of it if they didn't submit and after a while, Sammy finally said, we surrender, you know, don't throw him off. And then MJF did. And it was great because so the way they filmed it, you know, you saw him talking like just a side shot of MJF smiling and then deciding to go with Jericho. 
and you saw behind them for a split second, and then he pushed them, and they did the camera angle from the view down below up of Chris Jericho falling from it. Oh, wait a minute. They didn't do that at all. Uh, no. Instead, what was the smart thing, since you've had I don't know how long to fucking prepare for this, they decided to design with, what, paper mache and cardboard? A fucking metal platform thing around a crash pad that looked definitely, if you look directly at it, very much like that. Didn't, uh, you know, put two and two together until this point because I didn't see anyone falling on top of it. But when Jericho goes, they had the camera angle actually facing Jericho, and he did like a truss fall, which was awkward as fuck, uh, you know, falling off of it, and he fell on the crash pad, and went poof, barely any noise, and you saw cardboard boxes that were making up this fake metal platform that he fell through, and, you know, somehow still selling it on the mic, Oh my God, he went through concrete and it just, I mean, I understand this is a new company. I understand they're, they're going to make mistakes, but this in the fuck, this wasn't as bad as the explosion in the fucking barbed wire match, but this is pretty bad. And all you had to do was like videotape it a different way. If we didn't see Jericho on that thing, and, like, maybe later on we got, like, a, a little short shot way the fuck above of Jericho on this thing, you know. But then afterwards they're checking on him. He's opening one eye and talking. It just looked like after this match, after these guys kicked the shit out of each other, for that to be the ending, it just kind of sucked. And, you know, I like I said, I understand that AEW is going to have problems there at beginning stages. But you had a long time to work on the ramp fucking crash pad to make it look more realistic. Like, you didn't think that once it got hit, you were going to be able to see cardboard on the other side of the damn thing? I don't know. I was in set class at one point in theater. We put sets together. Um, it looked like rock on one side or metal. Then it looked like paper mache on the inside. Really weird. Newspaper, actually. So at least it wasn't newspaper, Chris. Yeah, I I think like you pointed out, the biggest thing here is just the production of it. Like you could have shot this thing from the front of the front of the crash pad if you would have had a camera guy just catch him falling backwards, and then immediately went to the ring for everyone's reaction to it. That would have been better than what they did. What they did was they show him, showed him falling through it, which you normally do in WWE. But also, you get the bazillion camera cuts you get in WWE, and the crash pad is underneath an announce table, and it looks a lot different than going through the stage. What we got here was a bunch of, like you said, cardboard, which I'm assuming what they did was they laid down a bunch of cardboard and then put one big vinyl wrap on it to make it look like still great, like um, still graded or graded steel for, for this spot. But, I mean, if he landed on graded steel, he wouldn't go through it anyways, if we're being completely honest. So that, even that didn't really make too much sense. You would just kind of bounce off of that or whatever. But um, the biggest problem I had is afterwards. Like, if you just saw the poof and you're like, okay, that was obviously a gimmick. But they had, like, paramedics standing on top of the cardboard focused in on Jericho. And you could see this shit, like, separating between their feet. I mean, at that point, you should have been smart enough to go, okay, maybe we cut to the ring and show some reactions from the people in the inner circle. 
as their leader just got thrown off the top of this giant cage. So for this big moment to happen, I mean, if you don't have a good way to do it, you don't have to do it. There's a hundred other ways you could do the finish of this match. Um, as far as them fighting on top of the cage and MJF being a chicken shit heel, I was fine with that because he already had the ring loaded up. So when he went up there, he thought if I could get Jericho one-on-one or whoever one-on-one, I have the advantage because I have the loaded, the loaded hand essentially. So that part I didn't have a problem with. It was just the production of the match in general. And once again, they go out, you know, we're doing this big spot and they went out with a poof. And so far they're one for three with this. And uh, the best of it being the exposed apron with the Death Rider on Kenny Omega with Moxley and Kenny Omega. That's the only one I I think of that they had like a big, oh my God, kind of spot where it actually worked. So maybe dial it the fuck back and not do as much of this. I mean, I guess Ortiz and them going through the car windows, if you count that and that backstage brawl. I also just want to say, just because, I mean, we're criticizing AEW just like we criticize WWE. And I remember, and people said this a couple of years back, uh, Kevin Owens, when he threw fucking Shane off the top of the cell, and you just basically saw, no, 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 Shane was one to go jump and hit Kevin Owens, and Kevin Owens got moved by Sami Zayn. But everyone knew, like the crash pad, obviously. But Shane's at the top of the motherfucker, and when he jumps, his momentum hits that table, and even the crash pad made him fly off of the damn announce table. This just looked like there was a pillow that fucking Chris Jericho was like, you know, just, I don't know, I guess going bungee jumping. It just, it looked, it looked rather weak from, from, like I said, a really, really good match. Um, brutal fucking match. Uh, just, yeah, that, that ending kind of just fell flat, but Hey, MJF still said, Thank you. So basically, he thinks he has Jericho's spot. My question to you to close this out, Chris, before we move to SmackDown, is Jericho going to be on this upcoming Dynamite? He shouldn't be because they he shouldn't should, be. If you're if you're going to sell this, is it be? I mean, if you're just going to dive into it, he sh- he he definitely shouldn't be. I, and hopefully, they don't come up with a storyline like they did with Moxley and uh, Eddie. <laughs> Eddie Kingston about it being, you know, TNA's, <laughs> what they call it, TNA's explosives. That's why it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> like being like Jericho came up with some mastermind plan of setting up these boxes in case someone got thrown off. Just in uh, case. Yeah. <laughs> like went don't... to the top during a War Games match, an enclosed cage. Yeah. Well, just in case, there's a, you know, we do go to the top of the thing somehow. <laughs> Is a pillow. I, I know the yeah, it it's ridiculous. But I will say this: the match itself, for the most part, was really good. It was plagued by some production issues, like we talked about. There was one botched spot I, I you know wasn't a was was kind of scary with Jake Hager and Wardlow. But outside of this, I mean, if you if you take away the finish of this match. It was a pretty good damn match, man. Especially for something on TV. So while we're giving it a little bit of shit. It was easily the best thing on the show. Oh yeah, and and we said the same thing about the uh, the the barbed wire match. Like the match itself was good. Like sometimes I think they just try to do too much, specifically with these finishes. <laughs> I don't think you need to do as much to just have a good ass match. Like you guys had a good match, um, headed into the finish, and then 
it's it's immediately going to be weird when you see stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, Jericho shouldn't be on TV. I don't know what that means for the inner circle. I don't know. I have no clue, but yeah, it was uh, it was it was interesting. Um, I do. I I think that this. I don't know which one I like more between. Like I think that NXT's had a bunch of good ones, but I think that their biggest one was, um, well, it was it was undisputed era. But who did they go against? It was like Pete Dunne and three other dudes. Didn't wasn't Kevin Owens in that one as like the surprise? Yeah, I think it was undisputed era against Pete Dunne, Kevin Owens. Was it Johnny and, and Champa? I believe. That sounds right. It's been a while since we saw it, but that that sounds right. That was these were excellent. One thing that scared me with those is that they decided to do some crazy shit with fucking tables, like when Master Champa put Adam Cole through that one off the top of it. You know, they had to make up for the fact they couldn't do blood. But I like the way NXT does it. This is more classic format. They went a little bit longer than, you know, normally, like the classic ones did where once everyone's in, usually the match is going to be done in about 30 more minutes. They were kind of shorter, I feel like, intervals between each person coming in. Uh, but NXT is a much longer dragging version of the match with no blood and with no top on the cage. But still, uh, you know, excellent stuff. I like the lack, and I mean, they had some stuff. The lack of plunder. That's one thing with NXT sometimes. You don't need to bring tables and fucking chairs and shit like that. It's a fucking War Games match. But, you know, I thought that they pulled it off really well, and I liked the, the, the match itself. The ending just kind of is going to be there. Because, I mean, I hate to say it, just to close my, my statements on this for the final time, even if you have a good match, people remember the finish more than anything. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you 100%. Now, I do say I like the way they did – I will say I like the way they do World Games better, where it's – match doesn't really start until everyone's in there. And then you you know, you know get pinfall submissions. I like the top of the cage. I like the cage being higher. I like the way they had the two rings put together. Like, all of the stuff about the setup of the match was fine. In the match itself, there was really good shit in the match. But like you said, man – you're going to remember that finish just like you're going to remember the barbed wire deathmatch finish. And, you know, five years from now, when you're going back and watching this stuff, like, <laughs> you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I think I'll watch this. Yep. All right. Well, let's move to, I mean, because of Roman Reigns and his family, one of my favorite wrestling shows to watch during the week, if not my favorite, um, SmackDown. So last SmackDown, which was last Friday, uh, like normally, um, we had, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, them talking about that last week was the, the end of Daniel Bryan, blah, 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 blah. Greg Hamilton comes out, uh, calls out Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, and Jey Uso, and it was kind of fucked up. So they did a 10-bell salute that Paul Heyman did all the uh, the the dings in between, and you know all of them are laughing and whatnot, and uh, just range just bringing in just being a heel, just talking about you know just talking shit about Daniel Bryan and his normal thing how he's the top of SmackDown and the top of the chain, 
And then, strange enough, Uso's music hits. Jimmy Uso's back. He comes down. He embraces uh, his his brother, and he brings him in. And then he, you know, gives a hug and brings Roman Reigns in, and he even does it to Paul Heyman. It's nice. And uh, yeah, they're, they're just kind of like talking. We seem like they're about to talk between them, and Cesaro comes out. Uh, he uh, basically says that he has no time tonight for Reigns because he has to focus on Seth Rollins. And as soon as he said that, Seth Rollins comes, hits him in the back of the fucking head, uh, starts beating the crap out of each other. And we have the temporary GM for the throwback SmackDown. Uh, Hall of Famer Teddy Long comes out and interrupts Playa. Uh, and he says, holla holla. Basically, that we were going to have Cesaro go against Rollins, and if Cesaro beats him, he will earn a title shot against Reigns at WrestleMania Backlash, and that match would start right now. And essentially, actually, we'll, we'll stop at the intro. How'd you like the setup for this? Uh, Jimmy coming back, you know, Roman giving the 10 bell salute with Paul Heyman, making fun of Daniel Bryan. I thought all this was great. Uh, even Cesaro coming out, he's about to like you know get a little bit uh, aggressive towards the the tribal chief and his minions, and then fucking Seth Rollins just knocks him out. And Teddy Long, this was a this was a fun opening, man. I have to agree with you. I enjoyed the opening of the show. I do think they missed a golden opportunity for Teddy Long to be like, and if y'all really want to fight, I'm gonna put you in a match against the Undertaker. <laughs> And then everyone just looking at him like, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, bud. <laughs> um, but no, I enjoyed this. I thought the Teddy Long thing was as an addition, if you're doing a retro, was was pretty great just to have him come out and set up the match. And and uh, it was great seeing Jimmy back. All right. So, Chris, I got to ask you, what the fuck retro was this? Because I was confused. I mean, look, I understand they're not going to like haul a giant fist stage thing from fucking Connecticut. I mean, they could have if they wanted to, and they made it virtual. They had that. But then, like, everything else is, like, from the 80s or early 90s aesthetic with the fucking the names and shit like that. I was so confused. I, like, this would be like if Raw was like, we're going to do a retro Raw, and they didn't do the Attitude Era. They had, like, it from the early days or like SmackDown came out in ninety to nine, right? Like I don't understand how they went back to the eighties with some of the uh, other stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I like they should have done maybe some more stuff with let's say Edge or Christian. Well, Edge obviously because Christian's not there. But uh, there's more they could have done. Like put Big E in a Versace shirt and some Oakleys, the Rock style or something. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Oh, uh, now I wanted them to do that. Why didn't they do that, Chris? Damn it. Uh, so Rollins Cesaro had an excellent match. These guys have great chemistry. I'm, I'm sure they've been doing this for a very long time with each other. But uh, I love the dynamic within this and what this breaks down for the future because I'm all in for a Rollins-Reigns uh, feud. I think that that would be a lot of fun. I don't know how you do that since they're both heels, but... Essentially, in this match, you know, there's one part where basically Seth tells both of them, like, I don't need you. And they're like, we're just observing, man. We're just observing. And 
he's kind of aggravated. They get into it. And then at one part, uh, Cesaro and him are not to the outside. And it looks like Jay's going to try to like help out Seth and Seth tells him to back off. And then Jay comes in and then he pushes him on his ass. And the referee's distracted a bit by, by Cesaro, who's back in the ring. And Jimmy super kicks the shit out of Seth Rollins. They send him back in the ring. He gets a neutralizer. One, two, three. Cesaro is going to backlash to go against, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Roman Reigns for the title. And Seth is livid about this. And Roman is also watching from back with Paul Heyman pissed at Jimmy for getting involved and causing Seth the match. So, uh, very, very interesting stuff. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into more of the dynamic of, of stuff that happens throughout the show. But uh, setting, I would say, Chris, some some stuff for within the future between Rollins and uh, Roman uh, throughout this night. And uh, good match between him and Cesaro. And fun to have that little wrinkle that Jimmy uh, kind of, and later on, really doesn't give a fuck. If he pisses off his uh, tribal chief, if you will. Yes, I like, like I said, I like the entire beginning of the show and the match between Cesaro and Seth, even before the fuckery at the finish was pretty damn good because it's, you know, Cesaro and Seth. Um, I like Cesaro is going to get a title shot, but you have to feel like he's going to lose. Right. So that, I mean, that's unfortunate, but at least he's being featured on TV and that's exciting because, I mean, Cesaro is fucking great, right? So that's cool. And uh, the wrinkles, like you said, with Jimmy, that adds to the storyline. What I probably done with Seth Rollins is had him fill in the cleaner position uh, of like Kenny Omega in, in the Bullet Club and then built the feud that way, where he's just kind of under mm. reins waiting to take take him out when he gets the chance. I may have done something more like that with, with Seth uh, because, you know, with Seth's current character, I don't know that it's you would have to go baby. He would have to be a baby face, right, for it to really work. But if you build it where he's he beats down Reigns, and that's how you separate this group out, or whatever, or he's kind of a mole within that group, that that might have been a little more interesting, I guess. Especially because the Usos aren't necessarily happy to be there with Reigns to begin with. Um. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It'll probably work out fine. They'll find a way to turn Seth babyface here in a month or so. But I, I don't see him beating Roman Reigns. That's <laughs> that's yeah. the thing. They've built Roman so strong at this point, it's going to take a lot. With Cesaro, I just feel like if they really took him seriously, and I know this would be something that would be normally to the 70s, obviously, with people like Bruno and, and Pedro and whatnot, the ethnic... Uh, you know, hero of a certain group, but like a foreign great wrestler, you know, Cesaro's not the best on the mic, but when you have that type of hero that's endearing and stuff like that, basically Cesaro, if he was pushed sooner, it, it would have worked out a hell of a lot more. I think that's a duck thing, but Cesaro seems kind of like how Walter, how I feel as him as a heel. I feel like Cesaro would have been a perfect baby face in the seventies. Um, in WWWF, uh, like a Bruno or an Ivan Putsky or a Pedro Morales or something like that. 
I think it just depends on how much meat is on the bone with whatever Cesaro is involved in, because Claudio was a pretty great promo in, in Ring of Honor days. I mean, he's he's not too shabby on the mic, but if you don't have Dick all to talk about, it's going to be really hard to cut a good promo. Um, with something like this, if, if there's a lot there, then that's fine. And I mean, they could go the route where they put the title on Cesaro. If you're going to do Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns, Seth could screw over Roman. Because it's WWE, and uh, when there's a fuck finish in WWE, it's usually for a purpose. Looking at you, AEW. Oh, shots fired. Um, with Seth, we're talking about the babyface concept. And like I said, this will come up more with this promo, but just in case I don't remember it. Um, I like, finally, the, the character he's more become because it's closer to... The architect, Seth, that first heel version when he was with the authority, can he, he kind of became bland as a babyface. I think that was his biggest problem. He had intensity, but it was kind of, yeah. Is, is there a way for him to flip almost that architect, like, uh, cockiness and keep that but still become a babyface? Like, I guess The Rock did that, but The Rock was The Rock, and Seth is – much more of an in-ring performer, I would say, than, um, you know, character. I mean, I would say this about Seth's babyface push. If you if you start putting him in matches with Baron Corbin over and over again and then involving Lacey Evans and Becky Lynch, it's really hard to have a good babyface run. Like, that was the majority of his babyface run. So, like, the lackluster Seth Rollins is a babyface that last time, like, after he beat Triple H, like... I can you really think of a good match he had? Because I mean, they put him against Baron a lot, and like I said, involved Becky Lynch. They even made shirts about him being the man's man. Like he was kind of an afterthought, oh, even God. as even as the champion. So I mean, I'm just wondering to have more dynamic to his character if he can pull off that cockiness and still be uh, a babyface. Not because last time, like when he became babyface, it kind of went full tilt, like you know, smiley babyface. More cocky. So he yeah. character again, basically. I mean, to me, if they really wanted him to have the big baby face run, they should have done it when he came back from that last ACL injury. Um, yeah. And then they turned him heel, and then they did the baby face run. But he's there with Roman. So, like, like I said, if I was doing this, I would make him more of the Kenny Omega of this group or the AJ Styles of this group to take over this little faction or at least find a way to break up this faction of Roman Reigns because whoever does that is going to be the most important baby face because right now or maybe Ro- sorry sorry I finish what you're saying I'm sorry I mean cuz right now Roman's going to run wild as long as he has control over the Usos what if so- Roman lures him in and kind of has more of like a Triple H to Shawn Michaels like beat down with him like yeah like no we're all good man you're the best dude you're part of this group and then just fucking destroys him like oh you want to talk shit to me you want to talk shit about how i need to handle my friggin' my cousins like i'm even your tribal chief like you know doing something like that yeah i mean i think that's great i think they they should look at doing something like that if not if not pulling him in the group because that's going to make seth the baby face otherwise it's just going to be like he turned baby face because they interfered in his match yeah so build it out a little further um i you know if he helps cesaro win the title 
the, the only thing is I don't think they're going to have Reigns drop the title, but if he's the reason that Roman loses the title, he kind of becomes a de facto babyface just because people want to see Cesaro with the title. <laughs> Even if it's like not the main storyline, I think people want to see that, right? So then he becomes this babyface against the, the family. There's lots of stuff they could do there, and that's the great thing about what they've been doing with Roman Reigns. They booked him so well, and he's so great with Paul Heyman. And when and Jay that there's so much stuff you can do around them and and that's why I think and I've said this I think he is he's the best wrestler in the world right now just on the overall package with him and Paul um, there's not as many people that stand out to me not necessarily in ring wise or promo wise but as a complete package right now and what he's able to do for his show there's very few that that are equating to that. Yeah, he's a superstar. He's one of the only uh, within this company, I would say. I would give Charlotte the nod. Well, Becky's been put on, you know, she was pregnant. But she was obviously getting at that type of level. Um, Maybe even AJ would be close to that. But Roman's definitely a top tier. And just across the board, man. Uh, But, yeah. Anyways... Let's move on. We had Teddy Long and a nice little thing backstage talking to Sonya Deville. Um, you know, apparently Adam Pierce wasn't available, so she got him to fill in. Thought it would be make a lot of sense. Uh, Sami Zayn walks in, starts telling Teddy about the Masters conspiracy and how he knows that, you know, he's not a part of it and just basically begging for an Intercontinental Championship match. And this is where they decide to use your thing. And Teddy says, oh, I'm going to give you – what you really need a one-on-one match with the undertaker. And then he starts laughing and like point like psych. And, uh, Sammy's not happy about that, but he actually decides to put in, in, in Teddy long fashion, a giant five on five match that Sammy is going to be a part of, uh, with Kev with, um, Kevin Owens, the street profits, biggie and Shinsuke Nakamura against him. And, uh, I forgot everyone that was involved. Oh, Apollo Crews and some future people to be announced. So, uh, oh, um, oh, Gable, uh, Otis, Otis and uh, Chad Gable were added to it. But that would be later on in the uh, evening. Oh, and King Corbin, that was the other person. But um, how'd you like this little throwback? And uh, Sammy again, man, no one understands Sammy, dude. He always gets screwed over. There's a conspiracy against him, Chris. I forgot that they did do the Undertaker thing. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, this was fine. Sami Zayn was great here. And, and Teddy Long, he he was also great here, I guess. I, I forgot about the Undertaker. I for, totally forgot they did the Undertaker thing. Maybe I missed this on Hulu or something, like, or whenever I was watching it, because I did watch it on Hulu and not the normal broadcast. I'll have to go back and check that out. But, yeah, this was fine. Set up a five-way match. It's whatever. Not a huge fan of five-way matches, but they at least got everybody involved. Big old tag match at the end of it. All right, so this is kind of what we were, we were talking about beforehand. So uh, we had one part where Roman Reigns backstage. Seth Rollins is pissed off. He's not happy. He mentions their history and wonders who she should be uh, mad at between Reigns or Jimmy Uso. Reigns understands where he's coming from and says, yeah, my cousin screwed you over. But by you losing, that screwed me over, and now I have to deal with your loose ends. And that involves beating Cesaro. 
which I will do. Rain says he will also deal with his family. Rollins says that's cool, but he will deal with the Usos if Reigns doesn't, and then walks off. And then later, when we get back from that commercial break, he's backstage with the Usos. Uh, he's not happy with Jimmy. He basically starts, like, you know, punking him out, and Jimmy's like, uh, I'm not going to be, like, my brother in this situation. Like, I'm nobody's bitch, basically. And then he just walks off, and Jay tells him, Jay tells Jay, or, sorry, Roman tells Jay to go handle your brother. And, uh, yeah, it's getting a little bit, it's getting spicy. Roman's getting bitched out by Seth Rollins. You know, R- Roman's uh, one of his cousins. I think from all this, Chris, I got to say is that, you know, we were kind of worried about what would happen with Jimmy when he's thrown back in here because Jay has risen his stock. But now that Jimmy's coming back, he remembers what happened at Hell in a Cell. He's not letting that go. He's going to push himself to become a huge babyface because of this. Even if it becomes Jay as a heel going against him as a babyface, he might raise his stock just from coming back and being the guy that was popular beforehand, before Jay started getting this push when he was injured. And remembering and not taking Roman shit, even though he should obviously bow down to his tribal chief. Obviously. Well, he should also, I mean, he should also be thankful that Jay took all those ass whippings for him. Because, like, the whole reason Jay's in this, <laughs> the whole reason Jay's in this situation is because, they, like, Reigns was attacking his, his, like, broken leg or whatever, right? Like... That was such a huge part of that storyline. But I do like Jimmy coming back and kind of being a thorn in this little group side. But, you know, it would be also good to see Jay be like, look, man, I, I don't think you understand who Roman is right now. <laughs> like you've been gone too long because uh, Roman has single handedly murdered <laughs> pretty much everyone so far he's faced. I mean, he stacked Edge and Daniel Bryan together. He just retired Daniel Bryan. I don't know that Jimmy is going to be the big baby face that he should be, but it will be great to see Uso versus Uso. Oh, like that's going to be fun. And I thought it would never happen, honestly, but they have made me excited about that. Yeah, that's going to be pretty awesome. Um, We had a match with Ruby Riot and Carmella. It was basically to get Carmella over. Uh, she made shortcoming on Ruby Riot and won. Uh, I do like her Code of Silence uh, finisher. I think that looks pretty devastating. Uh, just, I don't know. I kind of feel bad for Ruby and uh, Liv. I think that they're a pretty damn good tag team. I wish that they were used more. But uh, Ruby Riot, who was one of the top women in NXT at one point, is jobber for Carmella. What are you going to do, Chris? Uh, at least they got something for her to do, because wasn't she on Raw for, like, forever with zero matches? That's a good point. That is yeah. very much a good point. <laughs> I mean, her and Liv. Uh, I agree with you, though. There's a reason why they throw them in all these multi-people tag matches, because they, like, don't they always kind of seem like they're the highlight when they're in there, if I'm being honest? They look the most like a tag team, that's for damn sure. Like, in-ring and look. Yeah, so hopefully they'll find something to do with them. I I mean, I'm surprised that Ruby Riot hasn't, they haven't done more with her than they have. But this was fine squash match. They're continuing with probably Carmella being next in line for a title shot, I guess. Once they finish up Bianca and Sasha, they'll go back to that. Which is, which is fine. 
Well, before we get that, we definitely got uh, Bailey, you know, a backlash. I don't know what the fuck Sasha's been doing. She didn't get hurt or anything. But uh, Bailey's going to be taking on Bianca, putting it over. But I think that – what did I say? Like, I forgot what your comment was with their whole entire outfit. I think Bailey. just – I just want to first say that I think Bailey's been great. I think she's getting being a heel, especially when she kind of cheap-shotted Bianca in this. And just her facial expression. She's doing a good job as a heel. I put her over with that for a long time. What the fuck was she wearing? She looked like, <laughs> like, like if someone for Halloween, you know how women they'll they'll buy a costume. It's like sexy elf or something like that or whatever. Like if it was sexy Janine Garofalo, I guess was the outfit she was going for. I told you she looked like a Boston Terrier with her crimped hair. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting look for uh, Bailey, but uh, she came out, she called out Bianca, they had a confrontation, Bianca got the best of Bailey, uh, then Bailey grabbed her again and dropped her on her face and then beat the crap out of her and laughed. So setting stuff up, looking forward to this match. Uh, they really haven't had a lot for Bailey to do. She's definitely losing to Bianca. Does it go back to Sasha after this or to Carmella? It has to go back to Sasha because she deserves – she's going to get a rematch after the Mania stuff, right? I would assume so. Unless they do a shake-up or something. I would assume that they go back there first. We're going to have a shake-up. And then they do Carmella afterwards. But it's just weird because Sasha's not really a heel. <laughs> you know? Uh, the Bailey comment was my wife when she saw her at WrestleMania. She said she looked like a 45-year-old librarian. <laughs> So I, I don't I don't think I commented on this one, but yes, I agree with you. I I don't know. It fits in with the kind of the character Bailey's doing now. She's gotten um she, she's gotten way more entertaining since turning heel than having that long title run. Like it reinvigorated her or something. Because I, I I'm enjoying this Bailey to some extent. Ding dong. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I just love her attitude. It's fun. And like I said, she's got a mean streak and she's, she's able to express it really well. Like she went from like, you know, just making fun of her. Like you actually think you're good. Like and laughing and being obnoxious. And then she fucking snapped and started beating the crap out of her and got a little ruthless. So I, I like that. I, uh, I feel, I feel like a lot of this has stone cold told her she need to get like a little bit more aggressive a couple of years back. So she drank a couple of Steve Wazers. What? And uh, yeah, that was that was a terrible impression. Uh, <laughs> that no, but it would be amazing if she just starts wearing leather vests to the ring and opening Steve Weisers on everybody. That'd be sure. Why not? No, uh, yeah, this is a good opponent for Bianca. I'm glad oh, they yeah. didn't. I'm, I'm glad they didn't immediately go back to Sasha. So I'm I'm fine with this. And if Carmella's next, then that's okay too. But eventually, it's going to be Sasha and Bianca again. You, you just have to assume. Yeah. They got unfinished business for sure. All right. So Jay's uh, getting pissed off about Jimmy saying that, what, you just you really just think I'm Roman Reigns' bitch? And he says he does. Jay says uh, Reigns has always been family, and what he does benefits the whole entire family. Jimmy disagrees and goes on about Reigns just helping himself and Jay helping Reigns for the past several months. Jimmy says he needs Jay, and they need each other. Jimmy tells Jay to picture this. Reigns with the Universe title, the Usos with the SmackDown tag team titles. 
that's representing the family, Jimmy says, and then he walks off. I like where his mind's going, man. You know, he's 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 uh he's smart uh with with uh you know his train of thought, but uh I don't think Roman's Roman wants him to bow down before he even goes after any tag titles. I don't think that's happening. Which is unfortunate because honestly, the Usos is probably the best tag team in the fucking WWE. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially with what they've been doing with the New Day as of late. But uh, I like this segment a lot. I just wish that Jay would have been like, you do realize that a lot of the ass weapons I've taken is because of you, right? And protecting your leg. Part of this bowing down was so that Roman wouldn't end your career. Yeah. Like, that's something I would have added in there. But other than that, man, this was really good shit. And uh, once again, best storyline in wrestling. It has to be. All right, so we had uh, Rey Mysterio and Dominic come out. Once again, it was noted by Michael Cole that Rey is his big thing and accomplishment he wants to get done is being tag team champions with his son, which I find uh, kind of ironic because Ricky Morton, I don't know for what federation, but Ricky and his son just won the tag team champions uh, for some type of federation. So that's pretty damn cool uh, that Ricky, you know, Robert, I guess took a break, maybe retired, and now he's like, I'm still going to fucking wrestle, and now him and his son, Kerry, have uh, tag gold. If I was the NWA, I'd be calling them and getting them on my motherfucking program and having them win the damn tag titles again. Just get Kerry Morton, or Kerry Morton, get uh, Ricky Morton a million fucking tag titles. You should have more than anyone, right, Chris? I mean, he should, because every time he shows up, he does something awesome out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> like every time I'm like they should be done he shows up and does like a fucking Canadian destroyer or something and I'm like oh I guess this guy's still still really sending it every match and dude his son Carrie he's good man I've seen videos of the two of them he's uh he's got his dad's uh his dad's moves so good on him but, but and that's I, but I hope Ray and Dominic w- win the titles eventually I don't give a fuck at this point sorry yeah I mean I agree with you they they would be the first father son tag team to win the titles in WWE or WWF that I can think of, but it's happened before. So in Mexico, it's definitely happened before. Has to have, yeah. Yeah, so it's still cool. It'd be cool to see. They haven't really done much with Ray and Dominic as of late, though, so I don't even know how you would get there. But the tag division has what been the Dirty Dogs have been tag champions for like. I want to say like six or seven months at this point. Yeah. I don't know, man. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't even on mania, but they were the tag champs for SmackDown. So uh, that, that kind of shows you the shambles of the tag division, I guess. And right now on SmackDown. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, let's let's see. What do we have next? Oh well, that was going on. So Dominic and them come out. Then Dirty Dogs come out. Bobby Roode and and Dolph walk to the ring. They talk shit. Dolph basically says that Dominic's a joke and that he's only in here because his father's Rey Mysterio. So Dominic challenges him to a match, and they go at it. And somehow Dominic wins uh, with a roll up pin, but still, you know. Beats Dolph Ziggler after the match. Dominic goes to the floor to celebrate with his dad as the music hits. And Ziggler 
is pissed off and bitching to, uh, to uh, Rude. You know, maybe he needs to calm down a little bit. What did you think about this match, Chris? Well, We're about to match... talk about Reginald, by the way, so are you yeah, excited? I... No, I'm not. But uh, <laughs> this match itself was pretty good. Um, and like I said, Dirty Dogs losing the titles, I don't think it hurts them at all, just because the tag division on SmackDown is kind of weak right now. Yeah, it's abysmal. I mean, I, I like what they're doing. I think it's a fun throwback. I've said it a million times. They're both good workers, but I don't have a problem with Ray and fucking Dominic picking up the titles. I mean, this is the same tag team. I mean, as low as, as it is, it still has Street Profits, still has Otis and Gable. So there's still some people that we can jump that that from. So, I mean, eventually it's probably going to go back to Street Profits anyway. So if Dominic and Ray get it in there, I'm down. Yeah, I, this does more for Dominic and Ray than it does the Street Profits at this point. But yeah. I agree with you. But right now they're locked up. They, because you only have four tag teams, they're both locked up in feuds. So, it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, they're going to continuously just have those matches. So, even if, like, Dominic and Ray win, they could easily just drop it back to the Dirty Dogs, like, two months later. It's not going to it's not gonna matter just because that tag division just, like I said, they have four fucking tag teams. So, that's what happens when you have weird split tag divisions across three brands. Yep. I don't know. All right, so we have backstage. We we find out what happened. Natalia getting her elbows stomped on by Shayna Baszler the week previous, and uh, you know beating on Tamina, and um, you know and then Tamina and cutting her promo from Talking Smack that was really well. Uh, I really like Talking Smack. Great avenue for just pure off the spot promos, and the fact that. Uh, Paul Heyman's there as one of the hosts. Definitely, it's great. It's 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 very well done. Um, but you know, it's Kayla's talking to, to Nia Jax, Baszler, and Reginald. Reginald requested a match with Tamina, and he thinks he's gonna win. And blah 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 blah. We get to the match. I mean, Reginald does some impressive things, but it's like I'm trying to think of like someone to compare it with. It's it it literally is Cirque du Soleil. I mean, it's just it's it's cool acrobatic stuff, but it's like you don't know the wrestling half of it. <laughs> like I guess Ricochet would be a good example if you could do like nice weird things to make your body move. Anyways, flippy flippy flips, but don't understand the actual wrestling concept, if you will. But uh, yeah, this was just to get to me to. Uh, um, a win, but it was because of DQ because Baszler came in and attacked. So this is just kind of pointless. Uh, I want Tamina and Natalia to win those those tag titles. I've said that this would make Natalia Grand Slam champion and have Tamina win. I think her first championship period. I like them as a tag team. You know, that that's that's all I have, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with Natalia and them picking up the tag titles once again. Same. Same thing as the male tag titles I was just talking about. Uh, I mean, if it was up to me, it'd be Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan just because they seem to have the best matches with any of these people. But, you know, whatever. No problem with Natalia getting a Grand Slam. I'm okay with that. Uh, the original stuff, I, I'm just completely over because he's just James Ellsworth. He's just a different... <laughs> he's just a different version of James Ellsworth. 
and uh, didn't care for that storyline. Don't necessarily care for this one either. Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, pure, pure wet Olsen without the uh, with the chin, actually. Anyways, uh, yeah, so they beat the crap out of Tamina, <laughs> Tamina and Natalia afterwards and just decimate them. So we're uh, definitely moving on to that. Uh, Intercontinental Champion Apollo Crews backstage with Commander Aziz and his tech team partners. And it's like they're about to go in a Survivor Series match, but they're talking about the battle. We go to Big E and his partners for the main event. They get uh, hyped up and, you know, we're on. Come back from commercial. Apollo Crews, Sami Zayn, King Corbin, Chad, Gable, and Otis going against Kevin Owens, Big E, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Street Profits. This is a fun match. A lot of greatest hits from everyone throughout the night. Kevin Owens always looking like a badass. Sammy being one of the the best people to see get their asses kicked. He's so great at it. But uh, it would come down to Corbin comes in as Nakamura drops Sammy. Not seeing the tag, Corbin uh, grabs Nakamura for end of days to get the pin in the middle of the ring. Winners, the evil heels, King Corbin, Sammy Zayn, Otis, Chad Gable, and Apollo Crews. Chris, what did you think of this match? I thought the match itself was was really good, honestly. Um, the Hills winning, a, whatever, it's okay. They're building separate storylines within within this match, so no no big deal there. That's just fleshing out stuff for the future. It was a uh, it was fun. I don't know how much of a retro this was, but uh, outside of Teddy Long, there wasn't too much I noticed about that. Like, was I just completely crazy other than just, like, on-screen graphics and stuff of this being retro? Yeah. Teddy, the digital fist, not the actual one, but the digital thing. And then the graphics switching from 80s to early 90s, depending on what they were, what they had backstage. Or, it, was a, it was a whole hodgepodge of everything. I would have just gone for SmackDown Look 99 or, you know, just done that. Yeah, I mean, it kind of like so NASCAR also did a retro weekend and it was very similar. Like, I think that, you know, to me, retro weekend, you would have more superstars from the past involved, I guess, not just Teddy Long. And they also do these retro shows way too often because they just did one where they had Randy Orton kill everyone. Not that long ago. Or was that Legends Night? Did they call it Legends as opposed to Ugh. Retro, I guess? Legends of, of the Fall starring Randy Orton. Yes, starring Randy Orton with long hair. That'd be the weirdest fucking thing of all time. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> so to end this thing, and it didn't, you know, we had the last segment with Roman Reigns early in the night, or right before that match, I should say. Roman... Uh, told Paul Heyman, go get my cousin. And Paul goes, which one? And Roman just looked at him like, which one do you fucking think? And then Paul's like, I got it. I'll figure it out. And he goes, uh, and uh, he's backstage with Jey Uso and, and Paul. And he says that, you know, uh, talks about the responsibilities given Jay and how they do it for their family and how they love each other. Rain says he also loves Jimmy and wants to give him the same opportunity to rise to the occasion. Uh, but he needs to know where Jimmy stands, and that leads to the ending thing. Uh, Rain says this is now uh, how he envisioned the night. It was simple. Rain tells Jay he thought that would bring your brother back in, and 
before he can really go on with it. Jimmy Uso comes out. Uh, Jimmy takes the mic and says, Jay, uh, ask Jay where he stands. Jimmy recalls the I quit match. Uh, Jay lost to Reigns and how he wouldn't quit until he saw Reigns about to hurt his brother. Jimmy shows us a video package on the big screen with the highlights from the Hell in the Cell match between Reigns and Jay. Jimmy says he never would have said he quits to Reigns no matter what, but he doesn't want Jay to get mad at him for saying this. Reigns asks if that is what uh, this is really just all about. Is Jimmy stuck in the past? Raymond says uh, he and Jay are moving forward. Reigns says he's not going back and forth with Jimmy. It's simple. Fall back in line, stand with us and acknowledge me, or you can take your ass home. And when you turn on the TV, you're going to have to explain to your kids why you're sitting with them watching the Tribal Chief and the Uso. Uh, Jimmy drops the mic and starts backing away, exiting the ring as fans cheer him on. Uh, Jimmy stops on the ramp and thinks it over. Jay leaves the ring and walks over to him saying this will be easy if Jimmy just acknowledges range. And then they can get back to doing what they do. Cesaro suddenly attacks Reigns from behind, uploading on him. Cesaro beats Reigns down in the corner. Jay runs in to make the save, but Cesaro drops him at, with ease. Jimmy watches from the ramp, but finally runs in and attacks Cesaro from behind to make the save. Cesaro levels Jimmy with a huge uppercut in midair. Cesaro goes back to Jay and nails the neutralizer in the middle of the ring. Cesaro goes back to Reigns and drops him with it as well. Uh, Cesaro's music hits as he leaves the ring. The throwback SmackDown goes off air with Cesaro smiling from the stage as Reigns and the Usos try to recover. And that was it. I thought it was a really good exiting promo. I like the stuff with him and Jimmy. I like the fact that Jimmy's not backing down and... There's some tension there that Jay's still trying to convince him because they're brothers, obviously, to just do what he says, man. It's a lot easier. Just fucking do it. And Jimmy's not having that. And then Cesaro gets the better of uh, Roman and looks uh, stands pretty tall, which means he's going to lose pretty badly. But, hey, whatever. It doesn't matter. I thought that was a good uh, ending to SmackDown. What would you think? Yeah, I thought it was a great ending. I just, I, like I said earlier in the night, I would have had Jay bring up that same, the same storyline and be like, did you forget why I'm in the situation I am now? Because instead they flipped it and made Jimmy be like, I would have never quit. He's like, well, you weren't really in my shoes <laughs> kind of thing. But outside of that, you know, I, I liked it. And I already talked about the, the Jay stuff earlier. So uh, nice to see Cesaro have a big moment. Unfortunately, man, unless unless Seth Rollins is going to cost Roman the title, I don't see him losing it to Cesaro. But outside of this, fun SmackDown for the most part. The retro thing was weird, but there wasn't anything atrociously bad. It was just kind of a a decent show. I have to give it to SmackDown, though. I think that overall, I think it might have been the best show or the easiest to watch from start to finish out of itself, NXT. And AEW even. Yes, and it was definitely a hell of a lot better than Raw. So <laughs> there's that as Notice well. I didn't even give give that an option. <laughs> I love how we're doing this on Monday. We just trailed into it's it's almost eight thirteen, and I'm not worried that I miss any of Raw at all. So 
Just want to be honest with you. Yeah, it's probably a 15-minute promo anyway, so. All right, well, that was another great episode of the Wrestling Geeks Alliance brought to you guys by, of course, me and Christopher Brother Ray Patton. Thank you guys for listening. If you want to learn more about our, our website, uh, go to geekfivesnation.com. That's geekfivesnation.com. You'll find, you know, different types of news articles about comic book movies, uh, video games, some sports, pro wrestling, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, just click on the articles. You can also find our social media platforms at Geek Fives Nation on either Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Join the conversation and join Geek Fives Nation. You can find our wonderful podcast if you're a new listener on pretty much any downloadable audio platform. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, every single one of them. Just search on Google to find your one of, of your liking or search any of these search options on these said things for Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, Chris, thank you so much as always. Say goodbye to all the lovely people out there. Thank you guys so much for listening. Dane, as always, great show. And uh, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton. On Facebook, Christopher Ray Patton. And uh, on Instagram, Christopher, or no, Chris R. Patton, same as the Twitter handle. Uh, look, I almost fucked that up. That was bad. But uh, yeah, man, hope everyone enjoys, enjoyed their Mother's Day and, and have a great rest of the week. And hopefully we'll see some good wrestling. Absolutely. If you want to find me, Dane Alves 42 on Twitter or Dane Alves, A-L-O-V as in Victor E-S for what I tell everyone over the phone uh, at Facebook. And we'll have conversations and it will be wonderful. Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day to all the lovely mothers out there. And you guys have a good one. Let the Geek Fives be with you. And as always, peace out.